Hello and welcome to the 250, your weekly podcast looking at the IMDb's top 250 movies of all time. And we are continuing our Simmer of Scorsese, or our season of Scorsese, to keep it nice and vague, uh, this week with a discussion of Casino. I'm your host, Darren Mooney, and joining me as always is my co-host, Andrew Quinn. How are you, Andrew? I am unprecedented. Thank you. Um, <laughs> do you really want to step on that score. <laughs> Isn't the whole point of this that it's a huge pun? <laughs> yes. It is Scorsese, as it were. Get it? 2020, Score Scorsese. All right, then. Thank uh, yeah, you. I'm, yeah. I'm glad that you're enjoying this. And as listeners can hear, we've managed to rope in again the wonderful Jay Coyle, who is joining us as co-host for this season of Scorsese. Hello. How are you, Jay? How are things? Fabulous. Fantastic. And we've got a wonderful guest with us. We've got a first-time guest on the podcast, uh, Aoife Martin. How are you, Aoife? I'm good, thanks. It's a pleasure to be here. It's our pleasure to have you on. Now, Typically what we do when we have guests on, we've been asking them a little bit about their relationship with Martin Scorsese, which always sounds kind of sordid when I say your relationship with Martin Scorsese. But in terms of like as a filmmaker, as a, you know, as a director, do you have like, what's your association with him? Would he be one of your favorite directors? Uh, do you remember the first film you saw of his? Yeah, I mean, I think he's definitely one of my favorite directors. He's probably the first director I recognized as a director, if you know what I mean. Um I think the first film I ever saw of his was, was Taxi Driver, and that would have been in my college days. But I do remember um, back in the olden days when we used to look at newspapers, I remember a uh, local cinema showing Taxi Driver. Uh, and I can remember the um, it was a, the Dundalk Democrat, and they used to have um, the cinema listings were on the front page. So it was the first page I ever looked. I always looked at when the Democrat came out to see what was on the cinema, and I can remember the you know the little poster for Taxi Driver playing. So it was a film I was always fascinated by just from that poster alone, which is you know the shot of De Niro walking down the street just after uh, going into the um, applying for the job as a taxi driver. So you get a sort of sordid New York street that he's walking down drinking um, alcohol out of a paper bag, a bottle in a paper bag, and I was always fascinated by that by that shot and um obviously you know back in those days it you know it was nearly impossible to see those sort of films so it wasn't until i went to college and vhs's came out that we were able to sort of watch taxi driver for the first time and and yeah it's it's really stuck with me that film i've I've seen it multiple times since you know and i think it's 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 a wonderful film it's a very very dark film and it's it's a bit of a masterpiece i think it's always a bit awkward when we have people on the podcast and we ask them, you know, what's your favorite Scorsese film? And it's another one that we've covered. But is Taxi Driver your favorite Scorsese film? It's so, it's so hard to pick a favorite. It's like, you know, but they're all my babies. You know, how do I favorite? <laughs> um, it's certainly one I return to a lot. Um, like I could list off, you know, lots of, you know, you know Raging Bull, um, The King of Comedy. Um, After Hours is a particular favorite. Yeah. I don't, don't think that one gets mentioned enough. Um, and it's it's very hard to find these days. Um, I think, yeah, I think probably I would list Taxi Driver as my favorite, just because it's one that I go back to more often than anything else. But also, I mean, I think if you ask me the same question tomorrow, I'd probably pick a different one. You know, he's got such a such a vast array of work and so many brilliant films. It's uh, it's funny that that kind of for for Scorsese fans, it's like difficult to pick. Uh, which one they like most because they're all their babies. But for Scorsese himself, it's like, this one I don't like. <laughs> this, <laughs> this one is for the studio. Um, I'll, 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 like, he gives away half of his babies and keeps the other half. Yeah, trust me with the bathwater. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a few there like that. 
he made for you know for the studios as you say like Cape Fear and even The Departed I'm not a big fan of um, you are joining us for the discussion of The Departed I believe Eva. oh am I brilliant <laughs> <laughs> yeah no, I'm, I'm, I'm happy you watch that one again you know, I, I think it's... Jay has stacked the panel on that one I realise now like well played Jay well well played yeah. well, I do I'm sure I don't know what you mean uh, there yeah yeah. how do you feel about the department Let, let's not get into that right now um, listen I'll be re-watching so you know um, but sorry Aoife we cut you off there no no not at all I mean it's just uh, I think more of his commercial stuff I'm not as big a fan of I think um, you know Cape Fear is one um, the, the Departed is another I, I feel you know so there's a few there there where he's He's obviously just doing it for the money or doing it because he owes the studio a movie, which bizarrely is, is the case with Casino. I think he owed Universal a movie. So, um, you know, so it's, yeah, but he has such a huge body of work. You know, even something like um, The Color of Money, which is not something I've, I've been a huge fan of, but I'd love to revisit it at some point. Yeah. And again, a sequel to The Hustler of all things as well. That was yeah. during Scorsese's kind of lost decade in the 80s. There's a weird gap. And I think we talked about last when we talked about like Goodfellas. There's this gap in Scorsese's filmography between Raging Bull and Goodfellas where a whole host of really interesting stuff worth reappraising kind of happens. And actually, in terms of like we're talking about Casino um, tonight so or this evening. So in terms of that, it's actually interesting that this is so close to Goodfellas. Last time we were doing the, the summer of Scorsese, the seasons of Scorsese or Score Scorsese or whatever we're calling it. Um, and we really should have decided by the time we we reached the halfway point but such is life um we did but I, we did but the halfway point was in the past <laughs> so, so we changed our mind well this was, is the halfway yeah, point this actually this is a mobius strip um yeah. like uh, we don't we don't know whether 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 it's the past the future the present it's all it's all happening at once um, but but in terms the magic of, that- of podcasts so the magic of podcasts and post-production. But again, it is notable that like, you know, there was that gap between Goodfellas and Raging Bull in terms of Scorsese. But like in terms of the IMDb list, um, between Goodfellas and Casino, Scorsese only made two movies. He made Cape Fear. And actually, ironically enough, I am quite fond of Cape Fear. I remember it, it's the first Scorsese movie I saw before I knew what a Scorsese movie was. I found it when I was about eight or nine years old um, in my grandparents' house, tucked away in one of my aunt's bedrooms and watched it by myself on VHS. And it was quite an experience, let me tell you something, as an eight-year-old kid. Imagine. And so I always have that kind of weird fondness for it. And it's kind of, it's, well, I didn't even know who Scorsese was at that point. I didn't even know who he was afterwards. I didn't realize until after the fact that it was a Scorsese film. It's the... It's one of the best adaptations of that episode of The Simpsons. <laughs> Ever made. <laughs> yeah. um, where were the rakes? That was my question when I, when I rewatched it recently. And then the other movie that he made in, in that gap between Goodfellas um, and Casino that we're talking about is Age of Innocence, uh, which has been welcomely reappraised in recent years as I think the masterpiece that it is. It's a fantastic piece of work starring Daniel Day-Lewis, um, starring Michelle Pfeiffer and, and Winona Ryder as well. And again, it got a recent Criterion release last year as well. So it's good to see that getting attention as well. But again, then, then we land on a gangster film. We land on Casino. And Casino is an interesting film in Scorsese's filmography in, in many respects, in large parts because even before it came out, there was a sense of kind of fatigue around it. There's a sense of, well, Scorsese has already made a movie that is over two hours long looking at the mob starring, you know, Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. Why does he need to revisit that territory? And why does he need to revisit that territory? Contractual so obligations. <laughs> Um, as Eva mentioned yes it was a picture for Universal because he signed a two picture deal when he made Cape Fear so yes this was a a way of getting out of that yes do you know Carl Douglas who did uh, Kung Fu Fighting 
um, the studio asked him to make another kung fu disco song. <laughs> like he was like, I've got lots of disco songs, and they're not all about kung fu. It's like, shut up and give us a kung fu disco. What, give t- us a sequel, you son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be fair to uh, Scorsese, and he handled it quite well in a lot of press around the film. I think we'll come back to this reference in in a moment. But when he was asked the question during interviews about why he would come back and make another movie about mobsters starring Robert De Niro and Joe Pesci, his response was, well, nobody really complains about, for example, you know, John Ford making Westerns, particularly when he made kind of that trilogy of Westerns around Stagecoast, for example. Or nobody complains about Alfred Hitchcock making movies about weird dudes being mean to women um, and making that same movie over and over again. I don't think Scorsese framed it that way. But, you know, th- that's in terms of discussions of kind of like filmography. I think so, lots of lo- lots of directors make films about weird <laughs> dudes being mean to women. Yeah. <laughs> Including Scorsese. About to say, that's I was Hollywood. like, is that, a nice, is that <laughs> yeah. a nice segue to talk about Casino? But Casino is interesting because it is the rare movie that we're talking about in terms of this podcast, in terms of this season of kind of Scorsese movies, that is arguably gone up in assessment it's been reappraised when it was released it was largely seen even by people who really really liked it as being uh kind of you know a copy or you know a diminishing returns of something like goodfellas and arguably some people still see it that way and perhaps it is still framed in that context but in recent years it's seen a dramatic reappraisal as a movie that is worthy of celebration in its own right it's notably one of the few scorsese movies that has actually dropped off the 250 and has managed to climb back on It appeared when it was first released in uh, 1995, it appeared around number 240 and then very, very quickly dropped off. It was gone by 1995. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. But I, the 250 yeah. was around in 1995? Yeah, I, I was yep. going to call Nerds. that. Nerds! Like, Jesus I, Christ. I, 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 what, didn't it just come about in 1996? Fair the point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it all blurs together when you get that close to the scale. But yes, it was, it was on the early 250 anyway, and it was basically came in around 240 and then dropped off very quickly by December 1998. Ah. Should we not scrutinize these facts too closely? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Best Summary facts into a good argument. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, All these lies will be in the show notes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And perpetrated as well and backed up with photoshopped evidence as well to support them. Uh, websites that I created as well, uh, writing under several different pseudonyms in order to lend these lies. We veracity. suspect this happens anyway, Darren. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you are that prolific. I don't know why we're saying any of this. It's all been removed. <laughs> <laughs> it's all been cut from the podcast and uh, the version that people are released. But yes, it only came back into the podcast, uh, back, back into the podcast, back into the list in July 2007 uh, when it entered at number 250. And has actually climbed uh, since. And again, we talk about like the podcast, the general trajectory of a movie on the 250 is to head downwards. And again, that's something that has happened with the other Scorsese movies that we've discussed on the list. Films like, say, Raging Bull, for example, films like Taxi Driver, they've all trended downwards. What's unique about Casino, um, at least as far as Scorsese movies go, and there's only one other example, and we'll get to it later on in this season when we're talking about them. Sorry, it's, is... u- it's unique and there's one other example. Okay, what made it unique silence, to this point? <laughs> what made it unique to this point? No, not silence. Um, there I'm is one other movie that follows. That okay, fine. There is one other movie that has followed this trajectory, and it is not silence. But it is interesting that, again, Casino is a movie that is now seen as being one of the inverted commas kind of canonical or classic uh, Scorsese films. It's one of the films that, you know, is seen as being a signature Scorsese film. But is, before it's, we... is it one of the most Scorsese Scorsese films? It quite possibly is. It's the Earth Scorsese. It is. Um, um, 
And again, so before we jump into the discussion, I want to ask um, probably Aoife first, actually, and then Jay. Do you remember the first time that you saw Casino? Did you see it when it was first released? And what was your initial assessment of it? And kind of following on from that, like, has it changed over the years? Has your relationship to Casino changed in the way that other people's or kind of culture in general seems to? Yeah, so I, I saw it in the cinema when it was released. Um, I do remember at the time, um, this is pre-internet days, so the, the sort of the film critic I read most was Mike, the late Michael Dwyer in the Irish Times. And he wasn't a fan of the film. Um, which is which was a surprise to me because I knew he was, he was a big Scorsese fan and he loved Goodfellas. Um, and I did go back and sort of reread his review before this podcast, and he's quite critical. He says it's it's, it's derivative of Goodfellas. It's also extremely violent, um, and you know he thinks um, Joe Pesci is overacting in it. And I remember when I went to see it, I wasn't as enamoured with it now, or sorry, then as I as I am now. I, I sort of. I, I felt same like it's sort of like it's just a rehash of a Goodfellas, and I certainly think that it has grown on me over the years. And and now I think it's it's right up there and probably one of his best films. I mean, it's just I I rewatched it twice for this podcast because that's how dedicated I am. And, um, <laughs> and, and and like this is a three hour movie to be clear, so that is yeah, very and, dedicated. So I, yeah, so I watched it and then I watched it with the commentaries that that were on it and. Um, it's just, I think it's just a wonderful film. I think it's, it's an absolute masterpiece. And it is, you know, it has, every time I watch it, I see something different in it. And it just continues to grow on me. I think, I think it's, it's, it's wonderful. Perfect. And Jay, what about yourself? Do you remember when you first saw it? Did you see it in the cinema I in do, 1995? Uh, I did. I saw it in UCI Kulak on a midnight screening after Ooh. winning two tickets on the Jerry Ryan show. Uh, wow, that is very 1995. That is the most 1995 story uh, we've ever know, had. Right? Um. I went to see it with my brother. My brother thought it was extremely derivative. <laughs> um, we came out of cinema at 3 a.m. He really didn't like it, and he would have been a Scorsese fan. I really liked it, mostly because it was a kind of giddy, brash, loud film. And so whilst I didn't really think of it in terms of where it fit or how good it was in relation to previous films, because that didn't particularly interest me then, um, I did love it. I did really enjoy it. It was, it was an exhilarating ride, regardless of whether you see, think you've seen it before or whether you have or have not. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I think going to see a film at midnight does add a certain uh, a certain uh, fun to it as well. Particularly so, a three-hour yeah, film as well. Yeah, particularly because like, you're coming out of it kind of dazed, I imagine, at 3 a.m., sort of yeah. just dazzled. Um, also point out that Eve is massively showing me up because I didn't rewatch it at all. Never mind <laughs> with the commentary or read We're doing this from so, memory. Uh, I'm coming this from my increasingly kind of adult brain. <laughs> so, thanks, Eva. <laughs> Uh, Jay taking our co-hosting role incredibly seriously. We appreciate. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a natural at this stage. Sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't worry, Jay. You're still in pole position to replace me. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the elaborate Scorsese exactly. scene actually that's a is. huge accolade. Uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah. The entire Scorsese I, I, scene is just an elaborate audition. To do my job, you have to do very... Just, what do you yeah, need? Yeah. You need some guy with a beard that can make a science. That's all you need. All right, I can do that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Eat... <laughs> Eat spaghetti into the microphone. <laughs> I can also do that. Do no uh, preparation whatsoever. Um, yeah, I do. We're like, uh, we're like, we're like twins. Separated at birth. Which one of you is Danny DeVito and which one of you is Arnold Schwarzenegger is the question. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Andrew, what about yourself? It. Before you take that mouthful of spaghetti, um, what, <laughs> do you uh, did? How do you seen Casino before recording for this podcast? How do you seen it before? And do you remember seeing the? I do, I do. I remember seeing this, and 
I'm actually I'm going to try and avoid harping on about this. But, um, <laughs> Just get it out of your system once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll try. I'll try and I'll try and understate it. Um, I saw this movie and it made me realize that because because it's because it's because it's like. The most Scorsese Scorsese movie in some ways <laughs> it made me realize um, how much how much I don't care for Scorsese movies in some ways um, you don't need to hedge I mean, um, yeah the, we have another the, panelist we have another co-host to balance us out this is oh, all yeah, planned yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like like I, I and, and that's that is yeah that's when 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 I when I saw it um it's um it just kind of um it's it 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 really it really I, I suppose it really spoke to me about how um how um harsh and uh, bleak it was without without um kind of i, I guess similar similar in some ways to taxi driver but it did that it that it kind of for me anyway lacked the charm of of um of of goodfellas um and it, it, yeah 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 so it's, it's, sorry you asked me when i first saw it and uh, that's when i saw it and that's what i thought of it um <laughs> now yeah um and I, I suppose having 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 watched again um i did i did i did want to kind of um revisit it <laughs> and like more um and it is it is it's it's it it, it it has it has a lot of kind of richness and great qualities to it, but um, <laughs> I sense more I'm, hedging. <laughs> yeah, I'm sad. If I'm you're sad hedging saying, anymore, you'd yeah. be a gardener. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. So my 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 opinion may not have changed. Should I, should I leave that until the other side? Of the... <laughs> <laughs> well, no. I, th- I think that's kind of a nice segue then into jumping in and asking the three questions. Yeah. Um, so, Aoife, for you. Do you think that uh, Casino is one of the best 250 movies ever made? Does it belong on the list of the 250 greatest movies of all time? Um, I would have to say yes, in that it's one of Scorsese's best films, so it definitely belongs in there. Um, I think that um, I agree that it's probably the most Scorsese of Scorsese's <laughs> films, in that it has everything. You know, it's got you know, it's got the soundtrack, it's got the you know. The beautiful cinematography. It's it's got the um, the use of montage. The, use, yeah, the voiceover. The, use of monta- yeah. the voiceover is just superb. I mean, you know, yeah. for the first forty minutes, it's just an information dump, and yet yeah. it doesn't feel boring. It doesn't feel like we're being overloaded with information. It's just beautifully edited um, by Scorsese's regular editor, is Thomas Greenmaker, and it's, I think it's just, it's just fantastic. I mean, I think. Um, it's just, and even the, the music is just another character in the film. It's it's constant. It's never there's never not music playing in the background, and it's it it tells the story beautifully as well. I would love to watch the film with just the music, yeah. because you know the the moment where De Niro sees um, Sharon Stone for the first time, you know, Love yeah. is Strange is playing. You know, it's it's just beautiful moments like that the whole way through. I think it's it's Scorsese at the peak of his powers. And Jay, what about yourself? Do you think that Casino belongs on the list of the 250 greatest uh, movies ever made? I hate this question, and I say this every Jay, time I come on. Yeah, podcast. yeah, you're like you only but have like never, four more of these. Never going to change. No, no. Yeah, you no, only I, have like no, that's well, true. actually five more to be fair. Uh, one of I them is a that. twist. Um, but yes, yes, you only have five um, more of these. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, I don't know. I mean, 
and then and then he's going to add more pointless questions. <laughs> um, I'm on a loop. You know what? This um, podcast needs more exposition. Um, yes. If only we could do audio montage. But anyway, sorry, Jay. But a lot of really, I can I can actually kind of hear where Andrew's coming from in a lot of ways. It like as a film, it's a lot, and but I it it's deliberately a lot. I mean, this isn't an accident in a sense. This is uh, this is content as theme uh, in a lot of ways. So I can understand there's an exhaustion, an exhaustion, an exhaustive element to it. It's obsessive and it's weird and it's long and tiring and characters get dragged through it and all the rest of it. So yeah, like I mean. For that kind of thing, and it's uh, similar to what Eva said earlier, it, it's kind of one that's grown to me, and it's it's a Scorsese. It's one of the weirdly ones that it's the Scorsese I reach for a lot, or if I come across on TV, I'll I'll watch it again. Um, on, I mean, not unlike hours. unlike <laughs> I might say un, un, <laughs> unlike any other Scorsese movie, like say Goodfellas, for example, which I'll also do. But <laughs> yeah. there is, and like I'll probably watch any of them. But Goodfellas, except I, for maybe Silence, the one, yes. I, I, I tend to return to and I and I, I kinda accidentally in inverted commas stumble upon on TV, you know? <laughs> and I and I do watch it. So yeah, I suppose it does deserve to be there. If we ever make up a goddamn two hundred and fifty list, which I well, probably that's, never that's will. That's the next question, but okay, yeah. <laughs> we're jumping ahead. Um I love that you're you're silently rebelling against the format. And uh Andrew, what about yourself? Do you think that this belongs to the list of the two hundred and fifty greatest movies ever made? No, no, I, 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 I uh, not. I'm shocked. Not, not at all. Yeah, I, I mean, what I, a twist! I think, I think there's an argument for having Scorsese movies on the list, um, but I, I wouldn't have um, uh, dishonor for, 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 for lots of reasons that aren't particularly personal to me. Like there are reasons that are personal to me that I would not have it on my list. <laughs> Going <laughs> yeah, jumping yeah. ahead as Jay has, <laughs> yeah. but um, because we're doing that now. <laughs> in terms of just objective reasons why maybe this doesn't deserve to be on the top two, and in my opinion, like, sorry, I'm saying stop objective. hedging. Stop, yes, yeah, stop hedging. But just, just like consider, take the baseball bat, throw it in a grave, con, con, beat its brother <laughs> to death in front of it. Consider Joe Pesci's ter- uh, ter- terrible Chicago exchange, um, like the whole way through the movie. And I realize that's maybe think- not Joe Pesci's fault. It's maybe just that the accent itself. <laughs> now, to be fair, it's not a Chicago accent. It's a back home accent for legal it reasons. It is a back home accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scorsese couldn't actually call it's it Chicago. Okay. He couldn't talk about Chicago for legal reasons. In case Chicago sued him. <laughs> yeah, for defamation of character. Uh, but yes, it was one of yeah. those, it's the same way that the um, the reason says, ad- the uh, opening text says, I think, oh, is it adapted from a true story rather than based on? Again, and that's legalese. That's, whenever, that's a very precise they, phrasing at the lawyer's behest. Whenever they go back home, they're all eating deep dish peaches. <laughs> and, um, yeah, hot dogs with everything on it. Except ketchup. <laughs> yeah. Um, you move yeah. a dangerous close to cultural stereotypes. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but it's lucky yeah, we're no, talking about back very, home and not anywhere in particular, it's though. Very subtle. Yes. You have to pay. You have to pay close attention to Joe Pesci's terrible accent to, to, to figure to, out to where, get, where to get where he's meant to be. Um, um, yeah. But no, it, I, it, I, 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 I would for 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 me no no. And um, that, yeah, that's just my own opinion. I'm editing. Yeah, this this is an interesting one for me. This is probably going to be a reverse Goodfellas, where I think that it is perhaps hard 
to make an argument for this um, as deserving a place on the 250 when there is so much Scorsese on there. I think the argument that you could make if you wanted to is the same one that Aoife made, which is that it's Ur Scorsese. It's the purest, most uncut Scorsese film imaginable. And therefore, if you were to reduce Scorsese's influence down to a single film and put it on the list, it would be Casino. But the other side of that is that there is so much Scorsese on there already. There is Raging Bull, there is Taxi Driver, there's Goodfellas, there's even late Scorsese like Shutter Island, for example, or kind of The Departed, as we mentioned. So to a certain extent, I think if you're making a list like this, I think Casino is probably redundant in that sense. It doesn't necessarily, I think, push Scorsese's filmmaking forward or his influence on American film forward that much, or at least as much as, say, Raging Bull or Goodfellas did. So I, I think it's probably harder to justify. And again, particularly in the context of, of the 250, which we've discussed before, is a list that is very dude movie kind of focused. Yeah, and could probably I, I think it'd with... be interesting, actually, if um if they ever looked at the list and did something like one or two films per director. Max, yeah, and set up, set up, set up. see what stands and falls then. I think that'd be very interesting. Yeah. And not only Scorsese, for a lot of yeah. filmmakers are on. Yeah, I mean, Kurosawa and Nolan and Spielberg yeah, and yeah, Hitchcock exactly. as well. And again, Hitchcock, that, that director that was singled out by kind of like Scorsese as a director who makes the same sort of movie over and over again as well. Uh, but yeah, so no, I, I think I'd have a hard time justifying it. Um, Even though, you know, when we get to the next question, I'll, I'll probably have a much more enthusiastic answer to that. Okay, so second question then, um, Aoife, having not jumped ahead, unlike Jay and Andrew, I have appreciate that thank you very much Say what? Uh, would it be on your own personal 250 and i think we may know the answer to this is probably positive so how high would it go and like in terms of scorsese films how would it rank okay that's a, that's a hard question to answer um so yes <laughs> it would go on my my own personal 250 um in comparison to other scorsese films um I mean, I certainly think it's up there because uh, I think it's one of his more rewatchable films for me. Certainly, something I get I get more out of it the more I see it, um, and I get more enjoyment out of it. I think it's a lot funnier than people realize. Um, I think the um, some of the voiceovers are very very funny, and uh, their juxtaposition with with what's happening on the screen can be very very darkly funny. I think Scorsese can be a very very funny director, um, but most people don't get a sense of humor. Um, but I would put it up there. Um, yeah, certainly, it'd be, certainly be in my top 10 Scorsese films. So um, I really think it's it's stuck good. And it just keeps getting better every time I see it. And Jay, what about yourself? Would it be in your own personal 250? Are all Scorsese yeah, movies in your own personal 250 except no, Made of Silence? This, this is the thing. I don't, I, I, I don't think about it this way because I'd be afraid that either not many would be there or too many would be there. <laughs> I'm not quite sure which, to be honest, because once you get down to 250, it sounds like a lot. But when, you, when you've got when you're yeah. 200 in the in the hole and you've only got 50 <laughs> left and you haven't even gone near one part of cinema, like, I mean, I thought of where you'd be. I'd be in bits. So yeah. I, I don't know. Uh, probably. I mean, it's, it's, it's probably top six, top seven Scorsese for me. Oh, nice. Nice. Uh, but on the outer end of it, probably. But I mean, you're into... Actually, kind I'm kind of, of splitting hairs on it at certain points at a yeah. stage. Part of me is wondering now, if I asked Andrew, would this be in his top six Scorsese? Would he answer yes um, after the kind of ringing endorsement that he gave it there? Um, are, you, are you saying you're bringing a new question <laughs> into the podcast? With this no, 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 no. Let's not get out of control. Let's not get radical. Yeah, now everything just has got of control. So it's a law unto itself. We're we're breaking new ground here. Okay, and then Andrew, what about yourself? Would Casino be in... Sorry, I can't... Would Casino be in your top 250 <laughs> movies ever made, Andrew? Why not? Would it be in my top 250 movies ever made? No, um, no, um, it 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 wouldn't. Even even though, like like I I do I do accept that um, that there 
like for for example, Eva is on the money when she says it's it is a very funny movie, and I found it very funny. In 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 in, in spite of also finding it like um, really kind of uh, bleak and saddening, and and incredibly boring at times, and um, <laughs> and extremely long. But it, but it's also like very like weirdly enter well not weirdly entertaining. It is entertaining. It is funny, but no, it 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 wouldn't quite get onto my. Uh, <laughs> I like uh, I like the way you're uh, hedging uh, again. It's like, it's like yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I, I do I do enjoy a violent movie, um, um, like um, I think um, King of New York just just recently knocked RoboCop <laughs> off the. the, the Really? Spot. Maybe. Wow. Maybe. Okay. But that, that well, or or maybe it didn't. Maybe that was just my obligatory RoboCop reference. <laughs> um, we'll never know. All right. Um, I guess we know what we're recording next April then. <laughs> um, all right. And then yeah. So for myself, yes, it is on my top two fifty easily. Um, this is where I get kind of yeah. It is my favorite Scorsese film. Um, to be absolutely oh, wow. frank. It is the Scorsese movie that I absolutely adore. Um, and I think it's largely for the reasons I think Aoife kind of alluded to there, which is every time I come back to it, I see something kind of new and something interesting and something rich and something compelling. And I think that, you know, when we did, I think when we talked about The Prestige, which is another one of like Darren's personal favorite movies, and I know it's not for everybody, but it is my own, one of my own personal favorites. I think that, you know, when Andrew asked, what is it about for you? I answered everything. Um, and Casino is one of those <laughs> movies that is, it's three hours long, so it can just about get away with being about everything. You kind of just have to cram it to fit in there. But it is um, a movie that I, I fell in love with. I first saw it on television, uh, something through channels, because I was too young to be going to the cinema to see a Scorsese film in 1995. I was, I think, at that stage Ooh, still look watching. Look at me, I'm so young. I know, with my beautiful skin. You didn't notice my from my yeah, beautiful yes, skin? Yes, yes, um, <laughs> But I, uh, yeah, like I was I was at that stage still illicitly watching Cape Fear, you know, that I found in, in yeah. my aunt's bedroom. Um, so I you saw were, this. You were, you were also too young to be up at that time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, at the midnight screening, yeah. Um, but yes. I, I, I saw it on television. I actually discovered it on television. And, and I think that Che kind of joked there about it being four hours long with ads. This was never the midweek movie on RTE. I saw this on RTE 2 when they screened it at midnight through 4 a.m., which is similar to how I think I saw Once Upon a Time in America as well and Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet, uh, which is great. I kind yes. of I, That's what I miss about like national broadcasters is the joy of filling those slots late at night where you need to fill four hours of air. And it's like, well, what have we got? We've got Casino. We've got Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. And we'll just figure it out as we go. Um, so yeah, I kind of I watched Casino, and I ironically enough, quite similar to the description that Jay had, which is staying up at midnight and kind of as like a twelve-year-old sitting there in bed, slightly dazed at four a.m., going, "What have I just watched? It's amazing." <laughs> and then basically every time I've gone back to it, discovering something kind of richer since. So this is very much this is one of my favorite movies, and it's it's shaped your life an awful lot, Darren. Like- you can't even go to a cornfield anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we'll probably it's talk a little you, bit about... It's made you the pit boss you are today. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm watching, <laughs> watching the dealers, watching the players. Um, yeah. but, but again, I, well, we'll probably talk about this when we get to the Sawyer Zone. Like, I mean, I last week we talked about kind of Goodfellas and like, you know, Henry Hill and stuff like that. Ace Rothstein is a Darren Mooney Scorsese protagonist in many ways, <laughs> shapes, and forms. Like, if I was in a Scorsese movie, I would probably be Ace Rothstein. Um, so, you know, I mean, that that probably is what made an impression on me as a 12-year-old. 
All right then. Um, Except you'd be you'd be asking them to take blueberries out of the muffin. Yes, <laughs> it's the only difference. <laughs> yeah, you'd be like, um, "Can we have less fruit in this baked good?" Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe more sugar. Can we add more sugar? Right. This yeah. is meant to be America, right? Um, but yes. All right then. And for the final question, Eva. So, if listeners listen to this podcast have not yet watched Casino, so if they haven't set aside three hours of their lives to enjoy the movie, would you recommend that they pause the podcast and watch it? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's probably, a, it might not be the best Scorsese to start with, but it's certainly worth watching. Um, like I said, like the first time I saw it, I wasn't too enamored with it, but the more and more I watch it, the, the more I love it. It's just, there's just so much going on. Um, and even I could watch it with the sound down just to see the, you know, just to the admire visuals. the cinematography, the editing, the the, the, the switch pans, um, all, you know, all the techniques that he brings. And he's obviously just a complete master. He's got everything under his control in this film. So I would, yeah, definitely recommend it. But it might not be the best one to start with. And to, at, to, at to ease yourself on, in with, yeah. Sorry? Yeah, yeah, to ease yourself into the Scorsese no, canon. Absolutely, with. yeah. So I think it, it's a film that does grow on you. So um, I think, yeah, I think, yeah, by all means, watch it. But just... Be, be warned. It's it's you know you might not like it the first time you see it, but it's worth sticking with. Um, and Andrew, what about yourself? Uh, sorry, sorry, Jay, what about yourself? Yeah, I I would literally say take your new one thousand euro phone, stop this podcast, throw <laughs> it through the window, sit down and watch the film. <laughs> uh, to it's help that with the good. repercussions. Uh, <laughs> there's no repercussions worth that. That isn't worth this. Like do it. Yeah. Um, and Andrew, would you second that? Oh, by the way, I like. I, would you recommend throwing your phone away? Maybe if your phone is showing casino. Maybe like like the the, the um we talked um recently um back on our Hamilton uh, episode about how to save a thousand um dollars euros or dollars one thousand one hundred and forty two dollars to be precise yeah, instead by of, watching it, Hamilton on Disney Plus instead of going to a theater to see it yes. Yeah, yeah. So now we're telling people how if they if <laughs> seeing as they've already saved that money, like that's money you now have. Yeah, in your pocket. You, yeah, that's gambling money. So <laughs> so you can just throw that out the window. And if you happen to have something that's worth that amount, you can throw that as well. Maybe it'll come back to you and you'll have a better phone. Um, <laughs> just don't know. That's the that's the chance you take. Would I recommend because... people watch it? Um, I would. I would. It, it's. Um, it is very good. Like the the and I I expect most people won't dislike it as much as I did, um, because like I I I I really didn't like the the level of jewelry. Oh. <laughs> like, in it. like I I have like a tactile aversion to that much chance, and um and yeah the, so so and and it like it's it's. I mean, as, as as well, there were there were there were things that I enjoyed about it that other people might enjoy even more. Like, um, I like James Woods, not as a person, obviously, <laughs> but um, I like him in he's movies. so convincing as a sleazeball. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That, um, but yeah, no. What what watch it? It um, it'll um, if you can find it. That's yes, the other it thing. If you are going to watch it, just go ahead and buy a, a Blu-ray. I- 
do not try to 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 stream this. You will fail. Unless, yeah, I mean, in Ireland, unless, it is unless very you're difficult. in America or something yeah, like that. It is yeah. very hard to in find. In which case, in you can watch everything. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, actually, very quickly, actually, because you mentioned the chintz, and also because Aoife mentioned the uh, cinematography from Robert Richardson and the ending by Thelma Schumacher, it's worth noting that Rita Riot does the costuming on this, and I think she's spectacular. Um, apparently, the budget included agree. $1 million on Robert De Niro's wardrobe for the film. $1 million. There's a, pe- there's a poster with all the, uh, all the De Niro suits. Which is glorious. Amazing. You should dig yeah. it out for the uh, for the show notes thing. But it, it's great. It's a great yeah. poster of all this De Niro suits and it's fifty eight. It's a fifty eight. Okay, because I think Scorsese so, himself like said fifty two. Maybe maybe that's ah, the edit. Okay. Maybe that's the maybe there's a director. Maybe cut it could be also my brain gone. Then it could be easily be fifty two. Oh. <laughs> that's uh, and and that doesn't include all that chinchilla either. <laughs> um, so that's, that, that's just can't be the good chinchilla. Yeah. yeah. Uh, all right, and then for my own part, yes, absolutely recommend this unqualified recommendation. Actually, I think for to Aoife's point, this was actually the first Scorsese movie I watched as a Scorsese movie, if I remember correctly. This is the first one where I saw the name Martin Scorsese and was like, hey, I've heard that name before. I don't remember where, but it seems like a guy that whose movie I might want to watch. Um, so I, I think it kind of worked relatively well. Um, but again, I accept that like Andrew may be a, an extreme case, you know, against this movie. I might be an extreme case in favor of this movie. This is a very Darren Scorsese movie, to be clear. It is unnecessarily long. It is unnecessarily packed with unnecessary exposition. It is very detailed in ways that it doesn't really need to. It could probably do with a tighter edit. But man, man, is it tacky. And isn't it brilliant? It's, un- it's unnecessarily long like Darren. And, and, and wow okay tacky, but it's brilliant. Sorry. oh now it's on uh, yeah. I, I love uh, that you're describing it as like kind of it's kind of like me um, yeah unnecessarily okay. long-winded um, then andrew okay. you... <laughs> i don't like what you're insinuating or do Wait, anyway never mind with that I note i don't like what you're insinuating it's fun uh, on that note we'll segue neatly into the spoiler zone Spoiler zone. So, Eva, what is Casino about for you? Um, well, I think um, I think Scorsese described the best when he said it's about these guys who are given paradise by the gods and they fuck it off, basically. You know, so it's um, like like he says. I mean, these are the same guys as Goodfellas, only at a higher level. So they've been given this casino to run, and through greed and and um, just human foibles, just they just managed to screw it up, you know, and it just everything everything goes wrong, and they were never given anything like that ever again. And you know, I get the feeling that there's a sort of regret in in what Scorsese is saying, like because now he says that casinos are just like Disneyland. So I think he misses that era where where the mobs ran the casinos back in those days. That there was you know there was something vibrant and exciting about it, but now it's just everything's just very yeah. Just like Disneyland, commercial. you know. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's very commercial. It's just, it's just an yeah. amusement park, you know. Well, it is you worth could... noting, actually, in terms of interviews, whenever, like, feature writers for Casino go to Las Vegas and have conversations with people about Casino and about the mob and about Vegas, 
two things jump out at me uh, in those conversations. The first is that, yes, everybody is incredibly nostalgic for the period of time where people broke each other's hands and buried them in the deserts, uh, which is strange, but such is life. You do you. Um, the other thing that jumps out at me is that apparently um, they have a lot more affection for the character um, who's played by Joe Pesci based on Tony the Ant. So the actual mobster, Tony the Ant, whose arrival in Las Vegas apparently single-handedly um, escalated the murder rate by 70%, like in real life, the mobster that, that Pesci's based on. Uh, but there's a lot more nostalgia and affection for him than there is for Lefty Rosenthal, who um, Ace Rosenstein is based on. All right, well, uh, yeah. is, that, is that because of things that we now know about... Um... Uh, Lefty Rosenthal, or things things that are now widely known, let's say about about Lefty Rosenthal, in relation to like like that he, that he had a public sector job as well, <laughs> um, to, 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 throughout all of this um, kind of um, period. Um, yeah, that, that's yeah. part of it. Part of it's also the fact that at least um, Nikki or Tony were honest about what they were. Um, that's the prevailing kind Listen. of thing that you get. I, I do. I do think there's people do have nostalgia for all sorts of weird things that doesn't necessarily base in anything. I mean, people are nostalgic for Stalin in Russia, for example. I mean, these things are odd and weird, and in the past for a reason. The people tend to forget the horrors whilst remembering the good old times. Yeah, you look back with rose-tinted glasses and rose-tinted gigantic sunglasses that reflect the world Mm -hmm. back at you um, to use a metaphor that is, you know, perhaps laden in the film itself. But to get back to something that Aoife mentioned there, which I find interesting, and again, this is one of those, you know, this is the Ur Scorsese movie. And, you know, I I joked earlier about this being a Scorsese movie about everything. The idea of this being a story about men being given paradise and ruining it. It is very, very much, even more than good, even more so than Goodfellas, I would argue, a Scorsese religious film. It is a Scorsese film about the idea of what man does when God is not watching. And again, you have this recurring motif of characters mentioning the idea of being watched and being spied on and being looked at. And the idea that, you know, in Vegas, I think Nikki arrives and he says, nobody's going to see what we're doing out here. Or the bosses can't see us because they are thousands of miles away. So you have this idea of there being a space on Earth where nobody is like watching or overviewing or imposing morality or enforcing order. And this idea that in that place, with that freedom, with like every opportunity that they had, at, you know, the possibility to literally build a new world. What these people did, what, ma- what mankind does is it builds a kind of a den of sin and inequity. And again, you have the idea, I think that Scorsese himself has talked about the opening sequence, which I think was Sol Bass's last opening sequence, um, the last one he did before he passed away. Um, how that is a metaphor for Ace um, Rothstein going to, going to hell, basically, being consumed by hellfire his soul being kind of propelled to the afterlife. And the idea within that opening sequence of the juxtaposition of the hellfire or the fire from the car bomb with the kind of glitzy lights of Vegas. And again, Robert there's... De Niro is in Albert Broccoli's casino. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. But also like with that religious music, you know, the, the Bach. Um, yeah, it's St. Matthew's. Yeah, it's quite an opening sequence. It is. And again, it underscores this idea that it is something that is about more than just like mobsters in, you know, Los Angeles, in, sorry, in Las Vegas, you know, in the 70s and 80s. It's a kind of a commentary on this idea of what happens when people are allowed to be unchecked, when people exist without the idea that they're being watched or that there's a higher power or a higher authority that they have to answer to, which is a very 
religious theme and a very kind of Scorsese theme, I think. And again, I would argue that Casino is as much a Scorsese religious film as something like, you know, um, The Last Temptation of Christ or even Silence in that it's, you know, about the absence of that. It's a movie about the absence of God. It's like, what does a godless world look like? Look like a world where nobody can see what's happening. And again, one of the big themes of the movie, like it's established early on when Nikki explains how the casino operates. It's the idea that, you know, even the chief executives who own the Tangiers cannot go down to the count room, cannot see what's happening in the count room, cannot watch the count room. And so as a result, you have this incredible graph setting in, you have thieves stealing from thieves in that environment. And again, I think, I think that's something that I've always really liked about it is that even though it is very specific, very grounded, very well-researched, like very particular in its references and kind of like very specifically anchored in a time and place, it becomes this kind of parable about you know, the idea of being in a world and wondering if God is watching you and what happens, you know, to some people when they believe God isn't watching them in Scorsese's worldview or in a in a very traditional, perhaps Catholic worldview, but without being explicitly Catholic. I find that interesting. Yeah, I've not, I've not really an argument on any of that. I think that's, um, that's probably fair. The interesting thing about that is that when we're talking about the, I need to mention it, the being given the keys to the kingdom of Europe <laughs> is that when they say like mobsters won't get that chance again, but it's very clear and explicit as to who will get that chance, yes. which is another group of men in suits who will jump be bonds. unchecked and un- unchecked and unwatched for the yeah. next forty years after. Um, and like he alludes to this kind of thing in the ending of uh, the Wolf of Wall Street as well, where Leonardo DiCaprio is like, "Remember he was in prison, then he remembered he was a rich white guy, and you see him hitting a tennis <laughs> shot." Uh, yeah. And this kind of idea that there's certain people that do get to carry on and be who they want because they're cloaked in a respectability that they perhaps haven't earned where the mobsters at least were straight up with it in their terms of the, the explicitness of what they their behaviors yeah because i think scorsese's made the argument that like nicky for all his foibles and all his flaws is at least honest when he says i'm what counts out here not you not your fancy suits not your tv yeah. show i'm what matters out here I would absolutely watch Ace Inside. Though I would watch that. It looks amazing. <laughs> well, it actually existed, and you know, Don Rickles was a guest on it. By the yeah, way, I, I, I agree with um, kind of how how honest Nicky Santoro is. <laughs> like his meeting with the banker. It's just like <laughs> terrific. He's like, I'm fucking stupid. <laughs> you put my money to sleep, I'll put your brain to sleep. And like, like he's not subtle about it at all. Not at all. Uh, I love the yeah. I love the reaction shot of Ace as well. Ace mixing his drink while this is happening. And like, there's a sentence or two at the start of the story where Ace is like, I'm gonna see where this goes. And then the moment he says, I'm gonna crack your skull open, and you just see Ace not even like try to intervene. It's just like, no, no, no. Nikki's gonna be Nikki. Yeah, but is Robert De Niro always just written like that, or 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 is that kind of like what he brings to his performance? Is this like, no, no? He's 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 extremely prissy and uh, yeah. What's he calls him? Uh, John Garfield uh, thing calls him at one point. Uh, Nicky, and yeah, John Garfield uh, kind of a. Uh, bedrobe uh, thing walking around your yeah, silk robe oh John, yeah john barryman yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh john barrymore sorry yeah and it's like that kind of a uh, lovely kind of a uh, cigarette holder and uh <laughs> the affectations yes sorry, sorry. By the way, yeah. sorry about this I, I had to actually do i had to actually do a quick fact check on this because i didn't want to give in you know misinformation on the podcast but jay i think you'll love this you know ace is high 
the TV, yes. the actual TV show that's based on, which was hosted by uh, Rosenfeld. Um, it was actually interrupted on its opening night by technical glitches, which led them to broadcast in its place Anthony Mann's The Fall of the Roman Empire, which I kind <laughs> of adore. That's kind of like one of those, you could put it in the movie, but it would seem too on the nose. Too on the nose, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, interesting, though, in terms of your, your talk about the religious aspects of it, there's a great shot early on of uh, where it cuts back to Remo and the guy is talking yes. about sending about and it's like that last supper shot where he yes. was sitting in the middle with a light over him and yeah. the guy's sitting around him and it's this kind of you know we're the guy just cloaked in darkness it, it, yeah, yeah and they kind yeah, of look yeah. at the camera like they, they, they yeah, pause yeah, yeah. the conversation like look yeah, towards yeah. the camera it's like it's a, a real fucking, beautiful it's like a Renaissance, shot like yeah. they explain yeah. exactly what uh these might be far away but they're watching yeah, yeah it's, and, it's and almost it, like a rough light, a rough light painting that that shot yes, is. Like yeah. this, and they just pause and they sort of look towards the camera because once once their names are mentioned they stop it's just a lovely moment, you know? It's a beautiful yeah. shot. Yeah. And again, even throughout lots of like lovely overhead shots as well. Notably, a lot of scenes, the camera enters from above as well to give that sense Proverbial of... Proverbial like, God's eye, yeah. That, that's it, exactly. And again, I, I really, really love that kind of aspect of it. And again, very quickly, just because uh, you kind of mentioned this idea of like who took over. And again, this idea of kind of like, you know, the fact that the mobsters were at least honest. And again, you can draw, I think, a clear connection between this and the Wolf of Wall Street. And yeah. kind of, I, in terms I'm going to I'm going to protest at this like uh, continued insistence that like at least the mobsters were honest. <laughs> <laughs> the honest in the terms that they kill you. Yeah, it's like they're people explicit know and unsubtle. Well, people yeah. weren't meant to find out what they were doing. <laughs> like they didn't. They were yeah, just yeah, we it. take yeah. a skim, okay? All right, that's what we do. We're gangsters. We extort money from people. We're controlling Vegas, even though you don't know about it. We'll tell you about it, but don't make a big deal about it. Uh, we're honest guys. Fair, fair point. Step uh, on rates. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, fair point that is a very fair point more they were incompetent enough and people realized what they were Pe- it's more it's not that they told people who they it's were so like people the, knew who they the were the honesty of history yeah, of that's fair exactly yeah. what they were yeah. yeah that that's fair um and then maybe that honesty of history in inverted commas hasn't it's looked like, back on you know the people who replaced it, them yet we like they didn't they didn't have these like criminal um kind of activities that acted as kind of front businesses for legitimate um, kind of <laughs> shops out the back. You know, it was the other way around. Fair, but there, fair is point. A, there is a big history, though, of uh, mob mob use in uh, Vegas anyway, with uh, Bugsy yeah. and Howard Hughes buying all the casinos from Howard Hughes and yeah. thought they were skimming Howard Hughes when Howard Hughes was actually extorting them for a serious amount of money. And, oh, yeah, and, and I mean, know, like, there's a, it's a historically kind of compromised place from, yeah. from the, the get go. And an interesting relationship that exists as well. Because, I mean, again, you have the situation where Vegas was initially ashamed of those associations with the mob. Oh, yeah. And now, now it runs tours. Now it's turned it oh, yeah. into, into its folk history that it can package for those family tours. Again, that sense of consumerism that's kind of alluded to in the final moments where, like, you know, the Pirates of Penzance. But you also have, quite literally, the packaging of the mob as this romantic fantasy about Vegas that's being bought and sold to you, which is all very, very oh, Yeah, They call that Rat Pack stuff, even. Yeah, yeah. It, fe- it feels very sort of um, um, like uh, nostalgia for the mob. Um, yeah. Um, very quickly, though, actually, because we kind of we mentioned it there, this idea of kind of like the, that they were replaced by somebody, which I find interesting. This idea that, you know, casino is this well, there's is no organized that... crime anymore. Darren. 
clearly it's it's all it's all been removed and gotten rid of um it's like you the were happy killer. back then <laughs> yeah when we had organized criminals as opposed to junk bonds um but no what i find interesting and again this is one of the things where andrew's going to roll his eyes and say darren's doing one of his things but what i find interesting about casino is that while it is frequently categorized as a crime movie and undoubtedly is a crime movie and is frequently compared to goodfellas and that comparison is entirely apt for reasons we've discussed what I find fascinating about Casino um, in Scorsese's filmography is that it is also framed very much as a Western. It's very much a neo-Western. And again, you can see that visually. And Andrew, yep, literally just rolling his eyes. I appreciate that. Thank you, Andrew. Thank <laughs> you. But you have this idea because it's very much... The listeners is, can, hear, can hear my eyes roll. Yeah. But the sound of like the idea that it is the literal push westward because they are heading westward and they're kind of like charting new land and building a new world for themselves and literally kind of establishing new rules on the frontier and manifest destiny and stuff like that. But I mean, it is what, that. That is, that is accurate, Darren. What I find. <laughs> no, but I mean, like Scorsese, to be fair, even in terms of how he shoots it, those scenes in the desert, the camera is like seeing Las Vegas from the air, but the camera panning across the desert. But even scenes where like Ace is waiting for, you know, sort of Nikki in the the desert with kind of the giant mountains behind him or even the sequence where at the end of that Nikki pulls off and Ace is kind of like smothered in kind of like dust basically again it's it's shot like a western but even at the climax where Bobby Sherbert who's played by Don Rickles um comes to the house to protect the, the house with the shotgun it's very much like it's a homestead he's protecting a homestead except the irony is this homestead turns out to be like 1970s Las Vegas and suburban Las Vegas and again even in terms of like how it's phrased you have the constant reference to cowboys but you have this kind of again this idea that the mobsters and again it, it's one of those things where it's kind of it's clever that it, it it alludes to the dynamics of the western but in a way that manages to avoid some of the uncomfortable subtext of the western where you have the mobsters arriving and basically making fun of the natives where you have this idea where, where I think that at one stage Ace shows up and asks Bobby, you know, what am I have to deal with another stupid white man, for example, which again is very similar to how, you know, in Westerns they would have traditionally treated indigenous populations. But things like, for example, the idea that, you know, if it wasn't for us, they'd still be shoveling crap out here, for example. And the idea that the mobsters have actually brought civilization with them from the East. They've brought the idea of graft and money and the idea that Nikki, the way Nikki talks about like inventing capitalism out there where it's like I put a bunch of money out on the street and then all of a sudden I had all the dealers in my pockets and I invented a new way of gambling where I just take money from people and that works great as well. But I'll never have... pay it back. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it exactly. But you have again this idea that kind of runs through and this idea that despite the fact, and again, it's it's the dynamic of the Western, where the, the typical arc of the Western is the idea that you have the cowboys pushing westwards, and then you have society catching up with them and erasing them, and that becoming a tragedy. And obviously things like, say, the use of the railroad, for example, in Westerns, you know, where the, the railroad serves as a metaphor for inverted commas civilization that builds westward and then replaces over this idea of the romantic frontier, where as, you know, as Andrew pointed out, a bunch of, you know, white men can get away with doing whatever they want um, and therefore becomes a romantic nostalgic fantasy when in reality it wasn't. But I do like that the idea that Casino does that but with the trappings of a mob movie. So it begins with, you know, where you have Ace and Nikki as these kind of cowboy type figures but then you have them replaced by inverted commas civilization and society and, you know, the, the 20th century version or the 21st century version of a railroad, which is junk bonds, which basically just does everything that they are doing, but better and with a veneer of respectability to it and more polish to it and more structure imposed upon it. I think that's kind of interesting. You know, the idea that like, and kind of, I think Jay alluded to it, the idea that, you know, the, the low level criminals have suddenly been replaced by 
much more high level operating criminals as well. The idea that, you know, the Western settlers have themselves been displaced. And again, it's something that you see in, I think, Hell or High Water kind of does this rather well as well. Hell or High Water does something similar where you have, it's a Western, but it's a Western about how capitalism is reclaiming that land that the settlers themselves are claimed from the indigenous population. So you have this idea of kind of like layers of exploitation upon it, which is kind of fascinating. Yeah, it's 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 in it's it because it's interesting because it tells kind of the story about where it's come now. Like these these days we use um, these days we use pens for writing like junk bond contracts, but back in the day we used to only use pens for killing each other. Um, so yeah, when there were real men, um, <laughs> it wouldn't it wouldn't be like uh, you know using a pen to write something. Okay. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah. I, I like to be fair. I think there is something in the film's commentary that you know what replaced these men is just a more civilized form of kind of like exploitation and kind of like you know that the well yeah, that's, but th- 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 that's the great thing about about a good gangster movie is that the point isn't that there are these gangsters that are somehow special and different from us. It's the point is that the um, the corruption of society itself. Right. Yeah. yeah, and again, I think the casino does. There is no casino... difference between them and and, and 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 the people who replace them. Yeah, except the people who replace them are more polished and more veneer, as they have more of a kind of a, a polished veneer to them. They probably spend less on suits, like <laughs> like, like all those people who who come in at the end. They're they're not as well dressed as <laughs> as like the kind of uh, mad madman Pan Am set um, <laughs> that, that we yeah. see throughout. Like yeah. It must have been exhausting to live in the 60s and just constantly have to look that good. <laughs> you know? uh, and that glitzy and that glamorous. And again, yeah. even in terms of Western as well, there's this recurring motif where characters kind of come to Las Vegas in Casino. And I think that like at one point, Ace compares it to Lords, where it just washes away their sins. And the idea is that Las Vegas is a place where you can, again, in that kind of Western motif, you can be a new man. You can reinvent yourself. You can become something new. And what happens in Casino consistently, uh, and I think it's quite deliberate and quite thorough and quite explicitly drawn from the Western, is the idea that actually what you have on this frontier is you have all the crap that you bring with you. So to pick an example, like Philip Green, who's introduced um, as this man who showed up out of nowhere, an Arizona real estate kind of hustler who barely could afford to pay gas to get himself to Las Vegas to pick up a giant novelty check to help build the Tangiers, who was seen as being the perfect front man because he had no history or no past. But then all of a sudden, you know, a former investor comes out of the woodwork and threatens to sue him and ends up kind of potentially exposing all the scam that's going on there. But you have even like, I think later on, you have Ginger on the phone who's talking to, to Nikki and she's saying, you know, I think Ace thinks he's the only person, you know, with a past. Everybody has a past. And the idea that like Nikki can't, even though he can come to Las Vegas and can start anew, he's still going to end up being the same person that he was and facing the same problems that he did back home in inverted commas um he can't reinvent himself he can't change it because he can't change himself if that makes well, sense well we know that everything is going to end up okay for nikki because he's narrating <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the movie i love that that was like the, the funniest oh the bit where his narration's interrupted in the entire movie yeah track of a baseball bat (laughs) frank vincent finally gets his revenge by the way yeah Um, it's like stop uh frank vincent yeah billy bats yeah (laughs) yeah quite Uh, easily billy uh, bats 
tasted bats and said, um, uh, he just starts like whacking uh, Joe Pesci and, and saying like, show, don't tell. Um, <laughs> Didn't you? Well, to be fair, I only had one line of exposition in this entire movie, um, which I, and I love, exactly. by the way, when that happens. It's kind the of cam- like it, the, the camera looks at him and it's like, oh, sorry, I'm meant to do exposition now yeah. almost. Because it's just like, <laughs> like a freeze frame. It's like a, a freeze frame. It's like, oh, sorry, it's my turn. Um, don't worry, I'll get this over relatively quickly. By the way, fun, fun piece of trivia that I dug here. I dug out here. Frank uh, Colota, who's the character played by Frank Vincent. Um, and he kind of, he was interviewed by um, the Las, by the uh, Las Vegas press about the movie, and he had just one complaint about how the movie portrayed its inaccuracies um, about the events depicted, and his his comment was, <clears throat> "In Joe Pesci's portrayal of Tony, he swore too much. Tony did not use that kind of language, and Tony wasn't an obnoxious guy in public at all. He was very very courteous to everybody. He had his bad ways, of course." But he didn't walk around like a tough guy. I kind of love that that's Frank Vincent's character's one complaint about the movie. The one inaccuracy that it had. <laughs> I totally I like beat him to death in a field um, with a baseball bat in front of his brother. But he never swore, even as I was beating him to death. Which is kind of, again, I kind of, again, it speaks to that weird nostalgia that you have. And the weird sense of kind of like wanting to set the record straight. And what's important to these people when they're portrayed in films. Um... But sorry, I feel like, yeah, maybe I'm monopolizing the conversation here. But what about yourself, Eva, in terms of uh, Casino? Anything else jumping out? Anything that we haven't kind of discussed already? Anything? Um, I think probably Sharon Stone's performance. You know, I think that really stuns it. Um, I think probably surprised everybody. Um, I think she's a very underrated actor. Um, like, she was terrific in Basic Instinct, and she's terrific in um, Total Recall. And um, I think... I think, every, I think Madonna was up for this role, uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, various other actresses. Um, but but she, she, I didn't think she's right up there with De Niro. I mean, it's, it's one of De Niro's best performances, but she's right up there beside him. Like she, she really holds her own, and I think, I think that needs to be recognised, you know, because um, she's often portrayed as somebody who who isn't a very good actor, but that's totally not the case. Yeah, yeah I um, agree. I like even more than holding her own. Like she kind of owns the. The, um, the 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 screen like like, like the, the, the 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 even like like in 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 the universe of the movie even kind of the 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 way the way um like it would be difficult to think of somebody who can play that character because of the way she's written yeah. you know how she just kind of um charms the entire room the way it, it kind of um when when Nikki comes uh, into the room and meets her for the first time, he's just like, "Holy!" <laughs> <laughs> um, and 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 yeah. that is the, her um, kind of um, charisma. Um, she, and she's her character has, has a power. You know, it goes from you know this charming, charismatic woman to something's falling apart. It seems at the end. So she has this sort of full arc that other characters don't have. You know, Janine was the same the whole way through and Joe Pesci's the same the whole way through, but she has to act her socks off. And, you know, she won a Golden Globe for it and she got an Oscar nomination. And the film's only Oscar nomination, I think, as well. Yeah, yeah. which is weird, yeah. Um, it is worth noting, actually, there, in terms of kind of Stone's performance and, like, to underscore how incredible that performance is, it's notable that Ginger is one of the few major characters who doesn't get a voiceover. 
she's completely oblique as far as the movie is concerned. She's a character who is unknowable. And again, you know, we can we can talk about that maybe in terms of kind of Scorsese's women and stuff like that. But she is she's inscrutable to the characters around her. And I mean, even things like, you know, Ace saying, I could never understand this about her. I could never understand Ginger. And Nikki repeatedly saying he can't understand her either. But the fact that despite these contradictions, despite the fact that, you know, on paper, Ginger might seem like a thankless role, um, Stone is amazing and she's the anchor she's the glue that holds the film together I think you know if somebody had to get an Oscar nomination for the film I think it should have been Stone um, it's it's amazing yeah. she's my favorite I think one of my favorite women performances in a Scorsese film one of my favorite female characters in a gangster film ever I think it's just there's so much going on there and so and again we, we talked about like the level of exposition where I think Aoife mentioned the first 40 minutes of this are a gigantic info dump which is great it's fantastically well constructed and very um, like very funny, very amusing and very tight. But like in a movie that relies so heavily on voiceover and then denies Ginger a voiceover, the fact that she feels as realized as the two male leads, if not more so, is testament to Stone. It's it's phenomenal. It's incredible, I think. Um, yeah. And it's an it's an example as well of a um, a performance um maybe on the page, sorry, like a character on the page, um, maybe, maybe not, not quite being what, what, what it becomes in the performance, Yeah, you know, because, because the, the way, the way, um, the way Ginger is kind of, um, almost kind of written out or the, the way, the way she's kind of por, por, portrayed in this, um, which does it, it, it it's and it's a choice like it, it's not um by accident it's, it's not unintentional it's, it's yeah nice. yeah yeah that that, that it's um there wasn't um uh scorsese if you this isn't this is an adaptation it's not the um it's not like uh goodfellas where it says based on a true story it um at the start of this it says adapted now that was that that was again that was a lawyer's uh, bit of language, and we might talk a bit about the particulars of that in a moment. No, but but, yeah. it, but it very much is an adaptation in the sense that 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 the, the um, kind of it does it does tend to kind of make Ace seem like this um, this uh, put upon sort of um, uh, uh, victim in some ways, and the there it like the. Her materialism is so kind of, um, um, I guess, I guess, exploited. But the, the 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 fact the fact that her performance kind of, um, I think, rescues what could be a very kind of uh, bitter um, uh, uh, portrayal of a woman um, did um, really speaks to uh, speaks to Sharon Stone. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I I would kind of vaguely disagree with something you said there, and that I think that I think the movie doesn't really treat um Ace as a put upon character. I think that the movie is very clear that Ace is not a good person. I think that's what makes the movie interesting. What makes it? I think I prefer this to Goodfellas for the reason that in Goodfellas, Henry Hill is a fantastic scumbag and is like self evidently transparently a scumbag from the outset he is a terrible terrible human being um and no matter what circumstance you met him in he would be deeply deeply unpleasant i think that ace is interesting because ace is a much more banal form of evil 
in that he's a person who can present a veneer of respectability. And throughout, you have this motif of the country club, where he's obsessed with kind of getting membership of the country club, being seen as being a member of the community. The fact that he dresses, you know, as tackily, if not more tackily than Ginger, sorry, as well. But the idea that he has... Darren is shuffling his chips. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But not properly. That's not how you do that. Yeah. Yeah, um, Where'd they teach you that? But I, I, I think the I think the movie is quite clear that Ace is not a good person or a good or a put upon person. I think that it's very clear that he is as guilty as Nikki. That he is, you know, he is transgressing. It's just that his transgressions are easier to write off and easier to justify and easier to rationalize than Nikki's. But they are still he is still a terrible human being. He's just terrible in a in a way that is less showy and less flashy and less easy to glamorize. I think than Henry Hills is. In that, you know, like you have that sequence in Goodfellas where Karen talks about how sexy it was to see Henry beat a man into an inch of his life and how it turned her on. Like with with Ace, you don't really get that. With Ace, you just get a sense that he's not really there. He's completely empty. He's a hollow man. He's a cutout in the shape of a human being. Um, And I think and I think that's very intentional in the part of the film. It's notable that like. um... Sorry. Yeah, well, he's also a sort of he is a bully, and he's sort of yeah. the psychological abuse there. I mean, that yeah. scene where um he he constantly asks her, you know, what she did with the money, where she's going, everything. You know, he's constantly the wants to yeah. all the time, and it's you know he's also a micromanager. I mean, the, we we see that with obviously with the chips and stacking the chips, and with the the and blueberry the scene. You know, so he's he's not a nice person at all. I mean, yeah. you would not like to work for this guy because yeah. he just comes across as a bit like. And, and, I, and I don't he know. Seems like I, the kind of guy that. But to be honest, I think I've met more aces than I've met sort of Henry Hills, if that makes sense. I think that's what makes him interesting as a character is that he feels like a much more low key version of of kind of that sort of bitterness, <sighs> anger and abusiveness. In I, that- sympathize. <laughs> I, I, I feel like I sympathize with, with, with Ace, which maybe means I'm a terrible person. <laughs> but like I, I no. agree with that old blueberry <laughs> thing. Like I, something that really like deeply upsets me is when food proportions aren't wrong. <laughs> Sorry. When, when they're not right, when they're wrong. Um, like I, one, <laughs> one, well, like one of the so, sections on this podcast is food waste. Yeah. But it, like, like I, it, it's, it's some, 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 some of my worst behavior is, 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 is in relation to food. Like I, I remember one, one of my friends one time, eating like a pita bread with a sausage in it and and finishing like the entire sausage and only finishing maybe an eighth of the pita bread but it started out like where we could have eat, eaten both at the same kind of and 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 i just lost it completely i was like what now now you have an entire pita bread and no sausage so um, this is what i said about ace being a more relatable sort of evil yeah um, Exactly. <laughs> Much more grand. But I, I do think there is something to that because again, like one of the one of the discussions that like we you have and we've had it. I think we had it. We brought it up in Raging Bull, and we'll probably brought it up in Goodfellas as well. But this idea of kind of like the way in which for a certain segment of viewers, um, Scorsese protagonists have this kind of romance or machismo around it, where there's an entire generation of you know audiences, and I'm afraid to say interpreting it wrong or reading it wrong or whatever. Um, but the idea well, that you know it is what it is. Yeah, as, as a man would say. Yeah. yeah. But the idea that I think that like with Casino and I think with the Irishman as well later on, um, you get this kind of sense of Scorsese creating a protagonist that it is harder to 
mistake as that sort of endorsement in that, you know, I think that you can watch Henry Hill and you can have that reaction that Karen has, which is he's beaten these people up. He's so macho. He's so manly, you know, despite the fact he is a terrible human being. But you look at Ace and Ace is more banal, more generic, more, you know. Um, I mean, there, 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 there is there is this thing that I guess people get from the Equalizer movies of taking satisfaction in somebody being very good at their job. <laughs> where, 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 where like for him it's 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 gambling it's, yeah 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 and it, it's kind of like getting the 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 dice to, to, to kind <laughs> of turn. anyway I think, I think the interesting about scorsese films is in this regard is that the films that we talk about be it the irishman casino goodfellas etc and wolf wall street it does it as well is that these are really unreliable narrators telling their own yeah. stories these are not this like you're not getting the, this is not the truth by any real measure. Like this is not saying like Henry Hill's only moment of violence in Goodfellas is when his wife or his girlfriend at the time is attacked, Karen's attacked. So it's kind of the nod to the Godfather where Sonny, you know, chase after anything. Like you don't see like he doesn't get involved in the killing of Billy Bats. Like he stands, he's and he says he's an onlooker and a helper. And that's very deliberately told in a way to exonerate yourself out of the worst crimes. Which on like which on all likelihood he did. Similarly, in a lot of this film, like even though the chickens come home to roost a little more in this film, in a lot of ways, a casino. But these are people lying through their teeth constantly, and Scorsese is aware of this and portrays it. That it's very clear what they're up to, and what they're telling, and how they're telling it, and it's explicit a lot of the time. I mean, in Wolf of Wall Street, he changes the car mid 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 car color mid mid voiceover uh, yeah. because you know it didn't suit what he was talking about and how he was telling. This stuff's been going on with Scorsese for years about how he portrays and who he portrays and how they portray themselves. Yeah. And again, but I, I do think that there is something vaguely interesting in the idea that, you know, that Ace is a much more boring guy in that he's just good with... Oh, he is. Like, he's, he's, he's but then, not... But that's, that's, that's probably a lie as well, though, you know? Uh, yeah. Even though, like, even at the end, he sits there, you know, and that's that. He's back doing the... The, the book he's the ter- like. I mean... Yeah. But, like, who knows? I mean, who knows the... the, the the history of Vegas is written by the people that get to survive or get to. Yeah. And we, we don't know everybody else is dead. That could tell the actual story and all like that. What if, what if casino was written by that slots manager who was really bad at his job? <laughs> <laughs> um, that would I will not have a bad word about Don Rickles. How dare you? Um, wow. Take that Bobby Sherbert. No, well, just actually, cause it, it is interesting kind of in terms of that. Cause I think that, uh, and again, apologies, I'm going to mispronounce this. Ignati Vizneseski, um, who is the film critic at the AV club makes the point that like, you know, Scorsese movies are typically about looking and about observing. And obviously the metaphor of cinema and, and kind of like of watching and voyeurism through that as well. And how they recur throughout kind of Scorsese's filmography, you know, the zonked out eyes of Travis Bickle, for example, you know, young Henry Hill's contact lenses, watching the street through blinds, for example, even the influence of Alfred Hitchcock. What he notes about Casino and what he finds interesting about Casino is that the most iconic shots of Ace in Casino are the ones where he's wearing these big, thick sunglasses that don't show his eyes at all. Instead, they just reflect the world back. So, you know, that wonderful shot of Nikki's car driving across the desert with the, you know, yeah, dust cut through the glasses. That's it, exactly, cutting across the glasses. Or even that closing shot at the end where he does take the glasses off, but he wears them for a lot of the shot. Or even like when he's getting offered the job at the Tangiers, where he's wearing sunglasses at the pool, you know, that sort of stuff as well. Like the idea that Ace is like just 
an empty suit. He's these he's this wardrobe that he has that kind of props him up and there's nothing underneath it at all. I think that yeah. I think um you know uh Vishnaheski points out that like you know the iconic point of view shot in uh casino, we know that classic Scorsese trope of the point of view shot, is through the lens of a tube sucking uh cocaine. Like it's yeah. just a vehicle. It's a mechanism for getting something into you. In the same way that you could say that Ace is just that tube, and instead of sucking cocaine, he's sucking in money. Like he's just an empty vehicle for again for capitalism or whatever. But this idea that he's not a person, he's not something you can romanticize. He's just a mechanism. Um, and I think that's something interesting in that, particularly in terms of Scorsese's filmography and in terms of like the romance of violence in it that you know commentators sometimes see. Sorry. But there, but there, there is a tension there though as well because did and and an irony because yeah. uh, uh, Sam Sam Rothstein talks about Ginger about kind of how he admires her so much um, and then kind of lists all her qualities and says but I can never understand kind of like why she she's still kept up with this yeah 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 but you could easily say that about 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 Sam himself you could say like. Like, why do you trust your wife? Um, and 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 why why is it so important that you have to be with this person who doesn't want to be with you? Because he wants to um, possess her. Because he wants to own her. Yeah. Because he wants to control but, but, her. But, but, you know, I'm but, Sam Rothstein. I can change her. But the, and but it's that tension between like him being and he even vocalizes it because of course he does. <laughs> <laughs> like he basically says like I'm a really good gambler. Um, and I never, I never uh, take any long shots. But in this particular case, I'm taking a big long shot. Um, I hope this and, pays off for you at home. <laughs> I hope this, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, yeah, um, no, the, the, yeah, I, I, I found that interesting. The way, the way he's, he's meant to be this very kind of like calculating person who makes, who at the same time makes very obvious mistakes. But again, I think that I think that's what the film is kind of suggesting um, in terms of kind of again, one of the things that I really like about Casino, and I suspect it's one of the things that you really, really hate, Andrew, um, is that its length affords it the opportunity to go in depth on the idea of systems. Um, There is a lot of discussion in a lot of detail about how a lot of the mechanics of Vegas work. Characters are continually explaining, like in incredible minute detail, how little parts of the system work. So obviously the count room, you know, you get an extended montage explaining that. I think last night when you were watching it, you text me and said, I'm eight minutes in and they're talking about the count room. Dear God. Um, or some similar <laughs> sentiment there, um, but also yeah, the fact, it, just, like, it gets into it really quickly. <laughs> yeah, and just it's keeps like going. the movie starts and it's like, so you ever wonder how Vegas works? Here's how Vegas works, and then it's yeah. like, like kind of, it's no kind of like, hey, hey, how's it going? That's- Ever well, since I was a child, I wanted to be a gangster. I think that's a point of difference. Sorry, Ethan, yeah. cut you off there. Ethan, what were you saying? Sorry, sorry. Yeah, sorry, yeah, no, we're interrupting there. Um, yeah, they were going to put that scene in the middle of the film and realized it wouldn't work. So they had to get it in there early so people could understand how the casino worked and how the gangsters were skimming the money. Yeah. So. There's, a, there's a lot of that, actually. There's a lot of, like, he's talked about how Schumacher, and again, like, to give proper credit where credit's due, we talk about Scorsese as an auteur, the fact that, like, so much of this is down to the work of other people as well. But Thelma Schumacher helped him find the structure of the film in editing. Like, things like, I think, the segment with the whale, 
the the, the kind of foreign uh, gambler who comes over and like steals. I love that he the little detail that he steals the toiletries, uh, which is amazing. But like that sequence, he had no idea where to put that in the film and they had to kind of structure it as they were going. I think I watched this with my father at the weekend, um, actually, and he remarked that it felt like watching a documentary, but with actors in it. Um, and I think a lot of a lot a lot of directors might have just removed that scene, <laughs> <I> know, <laughs> you know, given it, that it doesn't really fit. Well, if it's uh, thematically, but, it's this idea that like you, no matter how carefully you build a system, and again, that that's kind of what I was getting at with the the idea of like how much attention the movie pays to the system. So things like, for example, you know, Ace reshuffling his kind of job application so he's continually applying for a license but never actually facing the board and things like that. But like it it focuses on how the mechanics of this work. And then inevitably emphasizes that a problem with a system like that is that people, people get involved and you have that happen continuously. So you have it happen with like, you know, Nikki arriving in Las Vegas and, and Ace complaining that, no, we have a good thing here and Nikki ruining it. You have Ace having his own system in terms, you mentioned in terms of gambling that has always worked for him and then ignoring it because he wants to be with Ginger, for example. You have this idea then of like the mob having a pretty sweet deal in Vegas, but eventually just stealing so much and so much human corruption kind of creeping in that it just collapses into itself. And again, yeah, the, lo- the Ford Motor Company have a great car that explodes <laughs> really easily. And then they make the mistake of putting a steel plate under the, under the driver's seat. Yeah. Uh, but, but again, like, I, I think that's very intentional. Like, again, this is the Scorsese movie that's most interested in systems and less interested in people. You joked that, like, Goodfellas does begin with, you know, ever for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster, which is immediately like, oh, this is a story of a person and a person's experience with, like, how this life works. Casino is different because Casino is like, hey, ever since, as long as I'll I can tell, remember. I'll I, tell you who I am later on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so for as long as I can remember, I always wanted to know how a casino count room worked. Um, which is, again, it's a very different angle to take on it. And it's something I find interesting. It's something, again, maybe appeals more to my sensibilities. But I find it fascinating because you get that, again, it's this this grand epic tragedy where you have this idea of people building systems and structures that are designed to operate in a particular way. And when they operate in a particular way, they work perfectly. But without implementing the proper safeguards and without taking care Human error creeps in around the corner. Mistakes are made and those systems are compromised. And that's, you know, why these things fall apart. They fall apart because of human flaws. Because again, you know, you can get away from back home, but you can't get away from yourself. Ace may be the perfect gambler. He may have the perfect system for picking the winning horse, but he will make mistakes. He will make poor choices because he's a crook, because he's that kind of person. Because he will make those, take those shortcuts and refuse yeah, and ignore the kind of signs and, and refuse to show the restraint that's necessary for a system like that to continue to work. I think that I, I really like that aspect of Casino, I have to say. As do I. I, I, I think that there's one thing that's interesting, and I think I read an, a, a bit of an article about it a while back, and I'd have to dig it out if I did. Um, about the, and this comes up in a few Scorsese films, particularly gangster films, and ex- more explicitly, I think, in Casino to do with ethnicity and Jewishness in um, in Vegas and the kind of you people and country clubs and all that kind of uh, yeah. Ace Rothstein being the guy in charge, you know, and all about the money. I think it's really interesting in terms of these gangsters who you're, you're not really part of it if you're not. Yeah, you're not Italian, one of them. Yeah, Not one of the classical mafia types. You're, you're always be on the outside no matter what you can do. You can keep making this money. I mean, keep it around. 
Yeah, like Henry Hill like being be Irish, never, for example. That's he'll never be, he'll never be afforded the respectability of the respectable community, and he'll never get the real respectability of the mafia either because he's not quite he's a foot in either place and never really at home and anywhere. And I yeah. think there's something really interesting in that. Oh, again, it's it's kind of that subversion of of kind of a, the American ideal. And again, I think you even yeah. see it in kind of like you see it in Age of Innocence. Actually, I think Age of Innocence is actually a really nice companion piece to like you know Goodfellas and Casino. Because yeah. you have this idea that, like, New York, at the point where Age of Innocence is set, is a place where you can go and you can reinvent yourself, and it's the new world. But, like, a recurring motif of Age of Innocence is that it's actually not. You can't run away from the scandal that haunted you in Europe. And, in fact, actually, what, what they've done in New York is they've built a system that is modeled on a poor imitation of Britain. They've just copied over all the European systems and flaws. And, you know, they, and that basically means that you cannot be... Like again, you, that that the core American fantasy—it's that, that image of the Godfather—and we keep coming back to the Godfather when we talk about Scorsese films. But the image of the you know the immigrant in the boat staring, or the immigrant in Ellis Island, kind of looking out the window, sort of staring at the Statue of Liberty or whatever, and the idea that you can come to America and you can be anything. I think that what's interesting about Scorsese films is that they don't really believe that. They kind of reject that fantasy. Well, you yeah, will always be an outsider. Sorry. They're they're, they're interesting because the. The um, a lot of um, like the Goodfellas and and kind of a lot of mob movies are are, are the kind of immigrant story of being um, of being an outsider that 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 creates a niche for yourself. Yeah, and the 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 the, the interesting thing about what Jay was saying about it kind of um, Scorsese movies, like with with, with with Henry Hill and with um, with with Sam Rothstein being um, um, the like outsiders to to the outsiders, yeah. like yeah. being being part of their yeah the, that that whole idea that you were discussing about being part of the world but not being part of the world and the world that you're trying to be part of um, is 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 the is um, Itself a subculture, sort of. Yeah, thing. yeah, and they're like looked down on. But you're you 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 can't even join this club so that you can be looked down on to the <laughs> with everybody degree. else. You <laughs> yeah, have to be looked yeah, down yeah. on by the people who are being looked down on themselves, so to speak. Um, but I mean, again, actually, it is kind of worth mentioning um, in that context. Actually, the violence of the movie, because one of the big controversies when the film was released was around the level of violence featured in the film. Um, it was one of the films in 1994 and 95 which generated some controversy. It originally generated an NC-17 rating, um, actually, and then was submitted with minor cuts. But it Why was do suggest- we say that, Darren? Like, NC-17 <laughs> means nothing to... To, to, I, I'm, to Irish Sorry, Muslims. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Okay, apologies. It was, um, it was submitted for an, an over-18... The equivalent of an over-18s rating in the I'm, States. I'm sorry, Darren. No, no. no, no it's, it, it's, it got it's an over-18s rating, or the equivalent of an over-18s rating in the States, um, and then was cut slightly and come back. But one of the interesting things about it is that it was apparently produced with an excess level of violence so that Scorsese, the rumor goes, so that Scorsese could cut just little bits of violence in order to get it passed with an or rating, which would be equivalent to a PG-13 here because a parent can take a child to it, for example, and therefore opens up kind of the, you know, the market. And again, so this happened, I think, with Pulp Fiction around the same time as well. Uh, but it is, it's a, it's a very violent movie. It's a very long movie. It's, you know, quite, you know, melodic in places quite slow and quite graceful in others but it is it has shocking spouts of violence in it um 
which is quite striking. Most notably, you let me put your head in advice for this. (laughs) And that's after they stuck ice picks in his balls, Jay. Yeah, Um, I know, right? Charlie (laughs) M. Charlie M. Charlie M. But it it is it is worth noting that that sequence was the one that was cut. They they famously added a much more graphic sequence where the vice was originally according to the script spins the vice handle until suddenly the man's head explodes, splattering the room with blood and veins. Um, blood and brains uh, and apparently that was the Beautiful. sequence that was cut in order to get the rating but again they had like sequences and what song did he play over that was it You're So Vain I'd written down in my in, in my notes uh, at one point all the songs and then and then later <laughs> on I wrote so many songs <laughs> like, it, it is part of this Scorsese sort of um, formula it's yeah. like let's put tons of songs in this. Well, this um, is one where he was able to get the rights versions. to ones that he wanted. Yeah, yeah. There's of, several versions of, of satisfaction. Exactly. In fairness to me, he essentially invented this for cinema yeah. for to large degree with uh, Mean Streets as yeah. a like the conceptualized contemporary records or whatever in film. So he's kind of. If anybody is kind of the, the rights to get an acted maggot with, I suppose he has and, at this stage. I, I think as Aoife pointed out, there's never a moment where like music isn't, or there's very rarely a moment where music isn't playing. I think that there's like a slight moment when he first sees Ginger where it cuts to silence uh, in order to emphasize it. Uh, but I do think that like, I really love that the soundtrack is the most Scorsese soundtrack. I'm not sure there's any more frantic music. as well. Yeah, yeah. As time goes on and things fall apart. Yeah. You start cutting to Devo and uh, snap that whip at one point. Um, yeah. I want him to take um, Sam Rothstein's uh, advice and take it easy on that stuff. Sometimes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but I, I think it would be fascinating to watch the film with just a soundtrack playing and to see how well the songs fit with what's happening on the screen. Hmm. Because they, they were very, very carefully chosen, you know, and apparently he had it all mapped out. He knew exactly what songs he wanted to play with which scenes. And it's... You know, and you know, when the, the House of the Rising Sun comes on, it, oh, you know, as everything's falling apart, it's just, yeah. it's just fantastic. You know, I think it's, it's probably the best use of a soundtrack in a film I've ever seen. You know, I think it's, I don't think anybody will ever stop it. Yes, it goes overboard, but wonderfully so. Mm. I, I mean, yeah, it I is worth that. noting that, like, you know, the cinematic masterpiece that is Gotti paid homage to that Rising Sun. Oh, scene. God. Yeah. What a film. <laughs> <laughs> what but, a film. But, uh, but no, no, it absolutely but, is. Like, the soundtrack is a huge part of kind of what makes it work. I think Aoife is entirely right. Like, I think you could cut, di- ironically, for how much voiceover there is, you could cut dialogue from the movie and just let the soundtrack play and you could follow what was happening, I think. Yeah, you can't story the soundtrack, yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Andrew, did I cut you off? No, no, no. I was, um, uh, no, I, I was thinking about Gotti. Who <laughs> <laughs> uh, wasn't that? Don't constantly thinking about yeah. <laughs> Why wouldn't you be thinking about Gotti? Um, it is Why wouldn't I be thinking about Yeah, it is worth noting, actually, that apparently, and Andrew will appreciate this, um, that apparently it was so violent and so gratuitous and so nasty and so unpleasant that apparently Scorsese himself was worn out by Casino. Um, he talks about when he filmed oh, the sequence. I'd say so. Yeah. They they even they even took a nice pick to the hair on his prick. Um, <laughs> sorry, I'm, I'm mixing up the Gotti now and Casino. <laughs> at least at least in at least in Casino they got the coverage. Yeah, that's uh, fair. Not five cuts of uh, yeah. How many how many cuts of, get of, out of, a car. of of yeah? Robert De Niro getting in. Watch that. Watch that sequence at the start <laughs> and see how many cuts there are of Robert De Niro getting into that car. Um, 
but it, it, he specifically cites the sequence of Nikki being murdered in the field, actually, which is, again, quite brutal. The sequence where he's just beaten. It's with so the brutal. It's, yeah. It, yeah, it it's is, terrible. Yeah. Actually, the, 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 I remember the, the first time I saw Scarface, and this is the spoiler zone, so we can spoil every movie. But for some reason, I thought that was his brother being um, uh, mutilated by a, a chainsaw. I think I'd come in late or something to 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 the movie, or maybe maybe the conceit of it was that the people thought that this person was was closer to him than. But the idea of um, like w- watching somebody that you love kind of d- d- dying before you is 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 a truly kind of. Um, uh, horrific part of that. It's so so. He kind of so... had it coming though. <laughs> no, but it, it's it so like incredibly <laughs> mean spirited. Like they, yeah, yeah. they, they, it's it's kind of like, um, I mean, <laughs> like it's it's it's. I mean, it's testament to, to um, well, either the story itself or or to Scorsese's imagination. But the the it really bothers me how. Um, how just um, uh, cruel and sick this is. Oh, it's a lot. It's a huge bit. Yeah. And I think what's most interesting about that, though, the sickness and the kind of how disturbing that is, is definitely there. But it's the fact that, like, what leads to that is just so matter of fact. The sequence yeah. that leads to the brutal murder is, you know, the boss is sitting around in the kind of, like, off the courtroom, just saying, and I love that it's like, oh, he's a solid guy. We can trust him. Yeah, he's a good soldier. He's yeah, a Marine. Take he won't a run the- yeah, that's it. It's literally, why take a chance? That's that, my thought. And that's about Andy Stone as well, who's never, like, <laughs> yeah. anybody yeah. or did anything <laughs> yeah. wrong. Like, has never put a, 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 like, the only thing wrong with him is that he's, he's, the, he's the wrong um, uh, ethnicity. Yeah. Um, basically. Yeah. Like the, yeah. Yeah. He's another one of those outsiders being looked on by the outsiders yeah. again, which is kind of interesting. And again, it, it is worth noting that I think one of the big backlashes against Casino when it came out was the level of violence on display. Because um, I think that I think that Aoife alluded to, to Michael Dwyer being put off by it, but there's also a couple of other things, uh, a couple of other reviews around it that made it kind of a similar case. And but I think it's worth remembering, uh, sorry, the mid 90s, like, we were coming off like the bands of Natural Born Killers and stuff like that. It, it was yeah. a, it was a fraught time for cinema releases because Pulp Fiction had made a splash, um, yeah. and even things like From Dusk Till Dawn a couple of years later was banned, and led to the absurd uh, thing of it being shown on Channel Four while still being banned in Ireland. So it, it was a weird decade, the nineties, for when films were being released, particularly around violence and anything to do with kind of religious undertones or things, especially so. Yeah. Yeah, the way- Bad Lieutenant was another one that suffered, and that was a very sort of religious film as well. And that, I think that was banned in this country. Yeah. Which one? Bad Lieutenant, Harvey Cartel. Yes, it was. Oh, yeah, it was. It absolutely the, was. Yeah. Is that the Verna yeah. Herzog? No, not yeah, the Verna Herzog. Abel Ferrara. My new favorite director. Well, the Ferrara cast. We'll be forecasting Ferrara from here on out. Ferrara Rache for everyone. I like that. We're I, ready, I, I willing, watched, and able. I watched King in New York, but I also watched Pasolini, and I really enjoyed them both. Pasolini is the new one with Willem Dafoe, right? Uh, it's about five years old now, I think. I saw oh, it five. five years ago, but I, I think it didn't get released for a few years. Though. That's right. That's yeah, no, it's the good palate cleanser after you've seen that terrible um, Van Gogh um, <laughs> Willem Dafoe. Dafoe movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, I did not see that. Thankfully, uh, don't, don't, don't watch. 
watch it. It was it was on my watch list for so long, and I avoided it. And and then I was like, no, I will, I will. I'm going to watch this. I shouldn't have. Anyway, it's it's <laughs> nothing to Van Gogh at, is it? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Aye, Um. In terms of other stuff, so in terms of stuff about Casino, anything we haven't discussed already? Any scenes? Any music choices? Any characters that we haven't discussed that we think maybe uh, merit? Catherine, Catherine Scorsese. She's just wonderful. Yes. Yes. I think yeah, you know, I think she should be mentioned in every in every film she's in because she's just fantastic in this. Um, Glorious, she's, she's so funny. It's just a such a couple of small scenes yeah. and it's just wonderful. And and, scenes. and again, I actually like one of the things I quite like about it. And we kind of mentioned how the mob bosses are portrayed like they're in a Renaissance painting early on. I hmm. quite like that Scorsese generally avoids kind of like the Godfather level of glitz and glamour around them, you know, meeting in these big rooms with gigantic fires and like gigantic estates. Instead, despite having all of this money, they're meeting in back alleys in cars or out the back of a garage or operating out yeah. of a, um, you know, out of a, a, kind of store. a convenience store, which is fantastic. And I absolutely love that it's it's the guy who kept proper accounts of his expenses. Um, again, <laughs> brings it all down. It doesn't again. That, that's that's a kind of like idea of kind of capitalism. The idea that you know yeah, gangsters yeah. are really just capitalists. It's the idea that an expense account scandal is basically what toppled the Las Vegas mob. Which again, well, yeah, Viscano is really bad at his job. He's <laughs> yeah. one of the several people who. He's a great. He's a great job. cinema complainers, though. He's one of the great cinema moaners. I love him. Yeah. <laughs> he never stops. He's a constant. Like. <laughs> and I love Ka- Catherine Scorsese's response to that as well. It's kind of yeah, like, yeah, her yeah. reaction shots kind of make those sequences. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, it is I, a great little aside sequence that the film possibly could have done without in terms of streamlining, <laughs> but I'm really glad it's there. Yeah. Um, and also, actually, do you want to talk very briefly about the marriage? I think we kind of talked about it already, but just the marriage between Ace and Ginger. And again, this idea that runs oh, it's, through it's, Casino, it's everything, is, it's, everything, <laughs> everything is capitalism in Casino. It's the a horror West. show. It's, yeah. it's, it's buying. It's a financial yes. transaction. It's, it's repellent. And yeah. it's like... I think there's one scene in particular where she's uh, he's kind of um, trying to get like he lines are we going to be together and the line on the bed and he kind of goes to kiss her and she's like oh god and she almost like shrivels <laughs> yeah. away from him. like it's absolutely the repulsed nature of it like it's horrible. What, what are you pitching like, me? What like what like yeah, yeah, that's, exactly. that's the response when it's like we should, yeah we should get married. What are you pitching me? Or the idea yeah. that in order to get married she needs the um, was it the, the box full of money as well and the idea that basically he's like buying her. Um, which I is, don't forget the chinchilla. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, and also the fact that yeah, basically the father of the bride is is her pimp, is Lester, um, who is basically looking to extract all the money. That's he can a from very himself. satisfying beating, though. Like I would have been a <laughs> James Woods fan when I was younger, so when I saw this first, I was kind of horrified a little bit, and I loved Woods in it. But the later watchings of it, it, it I relish every punch and kick. I have to say, uh, <laughs> living very, very uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do we think it was fair enough for Sam to ask what that twenty five thousand dollars was for? I love that Andrew's like, like get back to like. A, was he being a bit of a nag? <laughs> like, I love I that know, Andrew's like, like. I feel empathy for Sam. I just want to be clear. Yeah. Where is the boundary? It's not the first time on the podcast either. Uh, yeah. Just the second time around with this, Andrew. Yeah. Sympathy for the devil. It's like, <laughs> I mean, is, is counting blueberries bad? Um, it's one I know. I agree about that. I count the blueberries is right and proper. If you asked me for $25,000, I'd give it to you. But first, I'd <laughs> want to know, know what it's it for. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think it's more relative to the amount of money that he has, perhaps, is the kind of like the observation. Well, yeah, like, maybe it's relative to the amount of money Martin Scorsese has. Because <laughs> <laughs> like, he does, he does have. 
She it's it's because she's out of milk, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's like her carton of milk is empty. And Scorsese yeah. is like, okay, so <laughs> you're you're yeah, your 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 motivation here is that you're mil- you've just run out of milk, so you want some money to go and buy buy some milk. So ask for twenty five thousand dollars. In fairness, we've all been there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But but again and again, I I do like though that like the again you Jay kind of mentioned it back when we jumped to the spoiler zone or kind of like discussing the movie. The movie is basically plot as theme. The entire movie works more. And again, I think that like Scorsese's talked about like finding it in the edit, where the issue with the film is that he had a story but he didn't have a plot is how he's described, like, trying yeah. to save Scorsino in the edit. Um, and it, it really does feel like it's a meditation on theme. It's a series of vignettes as well. You know, like, and it, it often feels like when you're watching, particularly when you're watching it the first time, where you're spending, like, you're spending 10 minutes with Nikki, then you're spending 10 minutes with Ginger, then you're spending 10 minutes on the mechanics of the count room and stuff like that. And it's only and when even Frank s- Vincent gets gets a voiceover when he's bringing the lighter and lighter <laughs> money over back to the yeah. bosses, like his little yeah. ham, little sandwich bag full of cash. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's only when you step back that you really kind of see the whole thing. And it, everything in the movie works towards a particular purpose, which I, I really like. I'm a big fan of that. Where, like, even if you pointed out you could cut, you could easily cut stuff in terms of plot. Like you cut that entire subplot with Catherine Scorsese, although why would you want to? But you yeah, can exactly. see what you can see why it's there because it yeah. underscores that theme. Although it serves of like a purpose, this. like it absolutely yeah, does. That's, um, which again is is remarkable in a film that is three hours long. Um, but anyway, so in the interest of avoiding this podcast being three hours long, is there anything that we haven't discussed that's jumping out of people? Anything that we want to talk about? Anything that we think maybe merits discussion? Um, I suppose the dialogue. I think I think I think a lot of the dialogue is very authentic. Um, and just just from sort of listening to the DVD commentaries on this, um, I th- can't remember who was talking about this, but they were saying that um, you know that this is how these guys talked. You know, they you couldn't mm. write this stuff. You know, the a lot, a lot of the characters were just were just based on real people, and this is how these guys talked. You just couldn't make this stuff up. You know, so. I think that's really well done. I think that's why it's it's such a fascinating film as well that it it feels authentic. Yes, it's a big overblown movie, but in many ways it feels very very real too. You know, very very authentic. I think Andrew's kind of joked on the podcast before about how Scorsese movies would be a good half hour shorter if people just said what they said once instead of repeating <laughs> the same question. Yeah. Um, yeah. Such, I can't remember where I read the review of Casino, but somebody made the remark it would be about two hours if De Niro didn't keep repeating the same questions with different emphasis. It's like, what yeah. do you want the money for? What do you want the money for? What yeah. do you want the money for? Um, um, I think we've, it's a, we've we've had text conversations <laughs> in the style of Scorsese movies that have just gone round and round and round. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I am not surprised by this. Um, uh, in the slightest. <laughs> by the way, we will include in the show notes. There's a wonderful clip of Don Wrinkles uh, on the set of this ripping into Robert De Niro for having to I use cue cards. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's absolutely it beautiful. Is. Very good. It's like they're paying you so much, and you're a method actor, and can't you? Why do you need the cue cards? Why can't you learn? Your lines, uh, which I kind of <laughs> I think Tell Scorsese described. Yeah, I think Scorsese described working in casino as when you were working with Don Rickles, you wanted to make sure you were out of sight when you lo- when you yelled cut, um, <laughs> because otherwise you were fair game. Um, but no, I, I I do think that is, and I think the voiceovers, and I, maybe we haven't given enough credit to the voiceovers because the voiceovers are, as Eva noted, incredibly funny. 
And they're also very revealing of character as well. They're not just exposition. You learn a lot more about Nicky in ways that he doesn't explicitly tell you from his voiceover. You learn a lot about who he is and, and kind of where he's coming from and kind of what his perspective is. And you learn a lot about Ace through his voiceover as well. I think it like voiceover is something that, you know, it's a cliche to criticize voiceover in cinematic storytelling as, you know, show don't tell. But I think that Scorsese's use of voiceover in all of his films is great. But here, I think it's unmatched it's, in the Hollywood terms, and I think it's yeah. probably it's reached the zenith here. Um, it wouldn't I think, be Scorsese like, if it weren't for it, I guess. Well, I think you get you see it being um you see it being homaged and referenced and used in similar ways by other filmmakers, and it's very clear that it's not as it's just as copycat thing. It, there's a lot more to it than that. It's a it's a cleverer, smarter device when used properly than it is when it's not. And a lot of filmmakers mistake copying for art in that regard. Yeah, I, I think we just take it for granted because I think it's, it's a lot yes. harder to do than than Scorsese really films would suggest. I mean, if you if you've ever listened to the voiceover for Blade Runner, which is absolutely <laughs> terrible, um, or any David or Russell film, exactly. Yeah, people so, imitating Scorsese. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it is really difficult to do. I think he was absolutely correct. It's yeah. it, it seems easy because a lot of work's gone into it. But it, yeah. it is extremely difficult to do. I'd do it well. Yeah. And again, like I, I sat down with my father, who would not be a Scorsese fan, to watch this on Saturday and or Sunday. And he was amazed at how quickly it went by. And he was like, that was three hours um, afterwards. Um, and again, for a movie that is when you break it down, it's something like, you know, it's like 70% montage, 90% exposition, but 100% awesome. It's it's just incredible in terms of storytelling and, and how it does that. I... I I continue to be in all yeah. of it whenever I rewatch it. Yeah, and the structure, like there's, there's flashbacks and flashbacks and you you never once feel lost at where you are and at any time in the story. You know, I think it's it's so well done. It just, it just, it doesn't let up for a minute and it's it's never boring. Yeah. Um, it's, I, it's about 15% drunk driving as well. <laughs> and then classic 250 <laughs> trope as well, yeah. yeah. Exactly, but everyone in the sixties is just uh, smoking and drinking. Um, so, yeah, the good old days, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and quick shout out to, and again, um, quick shout out to the sequence where getting ready for a meeting, Ace stands up and puts his pants on to avoid creasing. Them, <laughs> uh, which yes. and with and with the bottle of Pepto on the ta- on the on the uh, desk. And, and the best part yeah, of that is that ulcers, the, pe- uh... the Pepto matches the color of his suit. Oh, absolutely. And this you... man's no fool. <laughs> yeah. I think Scorsese's pointed out that if you watch the watch also typically matches the shirt oh, yeah. as well. Very it's good. it's so, so wonderfully stylized and designed. Sorry. There is a cocktail called the Sam Rothstein and it doesn't have any Pepto-Bismol in it. <laughs> which is oh, I would add it to mine. That sounds yeah, Pepto-Abysmal exactly. to me, honest, if, if we're being frank. Um, and again, I, I will point out, having watched that sequence with my dad, my dad actually interrupted the movie to say, I knew a, lad, I knew a man who used to do that. Um, which is interesting yeah, well, because it's very it's very timely. The idea like being at one's office uh, and not wearing pants. <laughs> and not wearing pants is something that people do a lot now during the lockdown. So, yeah. yeah. Not not to make Jay and Eva feel uncomfortable on this podcast, Andrew. Um... I'm wearing shorts, okay? <laughs> well, you know, you can only see the top of me, so you know. Yeah, it's all good. That's all Who it's knows? Good. Yeah. Who knows indeed. All right. Um anything else? Anything else we haven't discussed? Anything else jumping out at people? Uh, no, I think I'm. Uh, I think I've we've covered it about Casino Doubt. All right, then. Perhaps. 
So, uh, Jay and Aoife, what we ask at the end of every podcast is we ask our guests to recommend something for listeners. It's something you're enjoying at the moment. It could be something related to the movie we just discussed. It could be something completely unrelated. Just something that brings you a bit of joy and which you hope might bring a little light well, and sunshine I, I into can, our listeners' I can take life. that. Um, um, and okay. I, don't have a, I don't have light or sunshine, but um, I recently watched a horror film that's just out on VOD uh, called Relic. Uh, with directed by Natalie Erica James, and it's one of the best films I've seen this year. It is really, really good. Um, it's starring extremely... Emily Mortimer, right? Yes, it's about it's basically a horror film with dementia as its kind of centerpiece. Which, if you've ever lost somebody or dealing with somebody with dementia, you'd probably avoid. If I would, I would suggest. But if aside from that, it's absolutely superb and really, really brilliantly made, and I loved it. I'm very hard to shake it. I would absolutely recommend it. And Aoife? Um, I recently watched All Is Lost, you know, the film with Robert Redford. Um, oh, yeah. And um, it's literally... J.C. Chander, there, isn't it? Is it? Yeah. Yes. It's, um, there's no dialogue. Uh, sorry, there's one, one moment where there's a word of dialogue and you can understand <laughs> why this word is, is spoken or shouted. <laughs> and it's just, you know, he's... There's a character who's on a yacht... Um, and he's just basically lost at sea, and everything that could go wrong goes wrong. And it's, it's just—I think it's just a fascinating film. I think it's—it's—it's it's, it's rather brilliant. I think Redford is great in it, and um, just the mechanics of making a film with that, with just one character and on a yacht, and that's it. And it's just—it's—it's it's riveting, absolutely brilliant film. Yeah, I—I I also quite like. That. I'll throw my recommendation behind that as well. And Andrew, what about yourself? Um, I'm finding it difficult to think of something. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with something I've recommended before, just on the subject of crime, um, and more. Um, Are you gonna recommend I, crime? Is that what we're recommending? Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, like, why not? Why not knock over like a knock over uh, a bank? You can wear a mask a now. Bank. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> if ever's the time um, to do it. Yeah, yeah. There's 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 a thing on Netflix. Uh, I think about. Oh, no, actually, it's not on Netflix. It's Sky, but, um, isn't it? Where you steal the money, you get to keep it. Yeah, if you're not caught. Sounds great. Exactly. The the, the um, no, I was going to recommend a book, um, a book that I read recently called Kickback, which is by uh, David Montero, and the cover is kind of the um, sort of global uh, bribery networks that um, that large um, uh, companies use um to um to 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 win contracts and not only um because i think people people tend to think of bribery or sorry people tend to think of crime i know i'm harping on about it uh, a lot but people tend to think of crime as something that criminals do um whereas like what we know is that um crime happens all the time kind of like when 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 whenever there's um you know, um, rationalization and um, when one has a, a, the kind of an opportunity to 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 benefit from from breaking the rules, and that's what um, that's what the, some some of the biggest companies do, um, and um, it's good because it looks at, as as well at the way um, that that affects society and is used to kind of. Um, all the unintended consequences um, of um, of that kind of um, you know white collar crime, and it dovetails neatly into the end of the good uh, casino yeah. as well. 
Exactly. And it's yeah, themes yeah. as well, to be fair. Yeah. Because what they, what they start doing is like they'll they'll you know pay a little bribe so that they can put a telecom in uh, Bangladesh and unintentionally um, fund a um, terrorist group that ends up killing like uh, a few hundred people. Um, that sort of thing. Um, and it, it's 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 I suppose um, yeah I I. I I enjoyed it because it it, it kind of exposes um, a lot of the, a, a lot of those issues and how a lot of the solutions to those issues, like the fines, don't really work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I want I wanted to plug that. That's kickback is the name of the book, right? Kickback. Uh, yeah, D- David Montero, which 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 I enjoyed, but I was I was on I was on a sort of a um, um, I need to get back into my borrow box anyway. Um, yes, that was, that's that's. My we can also recommend the borrow box from the uh, Dublin County Libraries as well, I believe. Yes, yeah. which I also. Yeah, or which or whichever whichever library you're 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 a member of. I, I, yep. I, I, yeah. Libraries are awesome. Yep, they are indeed. And then uh, for myself, um, I've been doing what I've been doing as we've been doing this Scorsese podcast is where possible. I've been watching along and filling in the gaps and sort of watching the Scorsese movies between the Scorsese movies. So. I would wholeheartedly recommend uh, Cape Fear and Age of Innocence, the two Scorsese movies sandwiched between Goodfellas um, and Casino. They are I would not... also recommend those. Yeah. Like, I mean, Age of Innocence is uh, not necessarily a 250 movie in inverted commas, uh, but it is a great movie. And it's great that it's finally getting the recognition that it deserves. And I will always have a soft spot for Cape Fear. It's grimy. It's grotty. But it's 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 interesting in what it's doing, I think. Um, I agree. So I... I, it's, it's great pulp. It is absolutely great pulp, and it's great pulp with purpose, I think, as well. Like I yes, think Scorsese, it is. It, like it's one of the things. Like we mentioned, Scorsese doing a job for the money, a job for the studio. That was meant to be a Spielberg film. Can you imagine Cape Fear as a Spielberg no. film? I um, think I could. Which is is amazing. But anyway, so I, I would recommend both of those. All right. So if people are looking for a bit more Efa, a bit more Jay online, where can they find you? So Efa, where can we get you? Where can we find you? Um, on Twitter mostly. So I'm at Efa M R T N. So on Twitter. Perfect. And Jay. Uh, at Jay Coyle on Twitter as well. Perfect. You can follow the 250 at, at the 250 on Stitcher, on SoundCloud, on iTunes, wherever good podcasts are sold or not sold. Uh, we'll be back next week. What we are doing is we are taking an unprecedented step. You you won't find it anywhere where podcasts are sold. That's a good point, actually. Sorry, I just got, I got so swept up in the commercialism and capitalism. It's our of going pledge drive, by the way. You have a chance to like for for four ninety nine per month. Yeah, just the price of a coffee. You can listen to our free podcast. <laughs> what a sorry. deal! I'm uh, sorry, I may have come away from casino taking all the wrong messages. Um, Andrew, the podcast hasn't been free for a long time, but I've been, you know, when you're hiring guys to steal for you, it's inevitable that they're just going to steal a little bit more for themselves, right? Um, but yes, yeah. it is available. The podcast is available for free wherever good podcasts are not sold. And sometimes where not so good podcasts are also not sold, he says, hoping the double negatives don't cross out. Next week, uh, we are taking a somewhat unprecedented step. And when I say unprecedented, I mean a step that we have taken several times before. But let's just call it unprecedented. We are going to look at a movie that is not on the list. We're going to take a look into one of the underrated classics of Scorsese's filmography. Andrew suggested this himself, so I'm really thrilled that we're doing it. Jay will be joining us for a discussion of Martin Scorsese's Condon next week. And then hopefully the week after, I hope Aoife will be back to join us for a discussion of Martin Scorsese's 2006 The Departed, which I'm sure will be fun and perhaps even divisive. The Uh, micro processes. (laughs) 
How's your mother, Jay? <laughs> on, that, <laughs> on that note, uh, take it easy, guys. We'll be back next week. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, sure. Thanks, Thanks, Jay. Thank you so much, Ethan. Thank you.